Well, hello, regular Drews. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 67. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, number 23 of the original mystery stories, The Mystery of the Tolling Bell. Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? I learned that from the Nancy Drew detective. Okay, go. You think you can follow the clues and solve the case of the missing condiment, Nancy Drew? Because yeah. I've read every Nancy Drew mystery ever written. Nancy, please tell me you're joking. Wow, you suck at this Nancy Drew stuff. You should get a new hobby. My name is Carson Drew, and this is my assistant, Nancy. It's curtains for you, Miss Drew. Nancy. Nancy Drew strikes again. A regular Nancy Drew. setting the vibes were great um yeah the rest of it's very weird (laughs) (laughs) what did you think of it i didn't like it i mean oh i agree with you about the vibes it was very spooky very Mm -hmm. the ambiance was very good um but i mean i'm just like when I was sitting there reading it, I was like, what am I reading? And it was like simultaneously like the most obvious and the most weird that yeah. I think I, I've ever read. I don't know if it's the weirdest Nancy Drew book out there. I think maybe Some things could beat this Island for sure. is weirder. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, just in like randomness, you know. This one wasn't super random. Um, it was just kind of like... Honestly, I felt like the mystery was just, it was obvious because there yeah. wasn't really, a, like, we knew what the crime was from the right. beginning. We, like, knew who the villain was from the beginning. Essentially, we just didn't know really how they were related to this other mystery that Nancy was investigating. So I wasn't really, like, confused because I've obviously read a million of these and so I know the structure. So I know that that dude is related to the rest of this. I just don't right. know how yet. And... And honestly, like, the way that, like, you get there is just, like, super boring. Yeah. (laughs) Just, like, I don't. And then there's all these, like, weird aside things and this AH and the bell. Like, what does that even matter? Mm. It doesn't matter at all. (laughs) And, like, why are we, like, hating on little people so much? Oh, I know. (laughs) That was really bizarre. It's just – I'm just – and also, it felt like probably the least, like, feminist book of the Nancy Drew books oh, that I've ever read. That that aspect really bothered me. Because there was it's a like few times the where they – Yeah. They, they set it up to where they make it seem like George is going to come through or Bess is going to come through and save Nancy mm, or they're all going to work together Ned. to solve it. And then Ned comes down on his white horse and it's like, why did he show up? <laughs> At it's least twice this that book, happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this book is definitely written by a super Ned fan, like a big Ned mm-hmm. fan. Like they yeah. love them some Ned, and he is definitely very white knighty in this. And it, ugh, I hate yeah. it so much. So many times, that. George is like, "Why don't you ask Ned? Or Ned could do that. Or aren't you going to see Ned tonight?" And it's like, <sighs> we should ask Ned what he thinks. He, ah! we need his opinion in order to proceed with this. 
And also kind of like Carson as well is very patriarchal in this. And I just, it didn't like it. And it didn't feel like Nancy was making any decisions. Honestly, it felt like she was the one getting them into trouble and being like hot headed or Mm -hmm. like not, not hot headed, like single minded about stuff. And then yeah, Ned or Carson comes in to save the day. And it's like, (sighs) really? Really? Yeah. This is where we are? I do think that maybe it's a little bit weird. I think the reason why people think this book is so weird is probably because this is number 23. And so it's relatively early in the series. And so I think it's probably the weirdest one of the earlier books, you know? Definitely. Like, I think that probably, like, when you read all of those and then you get to this one, you're like, whoa, elves? Like... (laughs) Like, losing consciousness and hallucinating? Like, yikes. Um, But I think, yeah, it's just, it's not that crazy. And I think that the mystery is just not good. Yeah. You know? I will say it it did, it felt like a very fast read just because there Mm. was, it wasn't, like you were saying, it's not overly complicated. This the mystery is what it is. You kind of figure it out, but there's a lot of like excitement right from the start. Yeah. Um, like normally, I feel like we wouldn't even visit the cave until like chapter ten. Well, we go in like what chapter two in this one, and then yeah. we have all this excitement straight away. So it does feel yeah. like everything's moving very quickly, and then you get to the end, and it's like, what was that? Okay, all right, yeah. that was you know. So yeah, that's definitely true. The stakes are very high in this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then especially mm-hmm. with the Carson stuff that happens right after all the drama with the cave, right. like there's a lot of like really high, um, high adventure type of stuff right at the start. And then the rest yeah. of it's just like, wow, that was, that went by really fast. Not because you like are so absorbed with the mystery, but just because there's so much happening right from the right. start. And then it's like, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like there's a lot of extraneous detail in this there book. There is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, why this isn't relevant? Why are you telling me this character's name? They never show up again. That happens at least twice. And like, just like details about people's lives that it's like, clearly there's more to this that we're not getting or like, was this in an earlier draft or something? And I just, yeah. So I, I feel like it could, honestly, it could have been a much longer book. And I know obviously it couldn't have been because the... Um, original text were 25 chapters and couldn't be longer than that. And the revised yeah. text couldn't be longer than 20 chapters. So I know it couldn't have been longer for Nancy Drew, but if it like, wasn't like one of these, like, you know, um, formatted mystery books, it could have been like much longer and much more in depth just with all of like the clear detail that is like in there that we're just like not getting, you know? So I thought that was interesting. Um, and I felt like having more detail could have made it a much more compelling read and more interesting to read. Like if we had gotten more like backstory about AH and Grumper, which we'll talk about that name (laughs) later. Um, but yeah, so I just, it just, it didn't seem to hit for me on really any point. Um, which is why I didn't like it. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I, I did read both the original and the revised text. Um, the original, obviously it's a lot longer than the revised text, but even so like making it longer didn't help any of the things that (laughs) you didn't like about it. Cause it is, I mean, they do put in more detail, but all of it is extraneous. Like it's just to tell us that Bess doesn't like shrimp and like, there's just like (laughs) the, um, 
as it goes, the original is pretty similar to the revised. Like, not much was changed. Just a few extraneous details were taken out. So imagine how, you know, if you think that there's too many extra details yeah. in there, imagine how bad it is for the revised. Yeah. I just feel like it needed to go one way or the other, but I guess even an extra five chapters is not enough to make it in the other direction. Like it would maybe have to be like the length of a Dickens novel to really get into all of the Mm -hmm. stuff that they put in there. Uh, So it's probably not, not realistic, but. (laughs) I did really like the setting of it. Um, And Mm -hmm. I mean, with the episodes that we've been doing recently, it's almost Mm -hmm. like the location is the point. Hmm. hmm. Wonder what that's about. But um hmm. I feel like with the the rich setting of it, I feel like it they, it had more potential, you know, especially yeah. with the like pirate backstory kind of like thing like that comes what? with it. Pirate <laughs> Well <laughs> to yeah. talk I, about that. I could have used a lot more of the pirate stuff. Right. But... Yeah, 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 yeah. So that yeah. kind of brings me to something else I need to confess really quickly mm-hmm. here from oh, no. following up from the last episode with the CW show. I have seen the finale because it did air this oh, yes. week and it converted me. I oh, must okay. say I am now a CW fan. I don't know what it was about it. I think I maybe I just needed to see both bookends before I could really mm. appreciate what was in the middle, but I'm sold. Like... <laughs> Okay. It convinced me of it. And just reading this, it felt so much like the same setting as the CW mm. show that um, I, I, her interactive, listen closely. I need you to get Kennedy McMahon on the phone and make <laughs> a game where we're like set in this type oh. of area. And then maybe it's not this mystery because it's not the strongest mystery, but maybe Nancy goes to the cave to investigate the bell thing, but it's a real ghost this time. And like, I I just need a game. Like it's like Danger on Deception Island vibes, but extra spooky, like Ghost of Hall level spooky. But I just, I need that vibe in a game. What if Her Interactive started making Nancy Drew games based off the CW show. Exactly. That's what I need. Even if it's just like a one-off, they just do one thing. Like I'm so like, I see the vision of the show now and I love the spooky aspect of it. I don't, I'm sorry. I just, okay. (laughs) This is not what we came here to talk about today, but it's just like, (laughs) it made me really want that in a game. Like I need to have Kennedy McMahon voice it and I need it to be like a continuation of her, her timeline, her universe of Nancy Mm. and make it, extra spooky you know extra scary games from that I think it would be I think that would work really well yeah like a Nancy Drew that's more horror and you can even see how they kind of were leaning that direction with Midnight in Salem it's definitely Mm -hmm. very very spooky um and so I could get I could get into that Mm -hmm. like a Nancy Drew kind of slight horror game Mm -hmm. but a horror mystery yeah Mm, that could be good, wouldn't it? And just yeah. have it be like this, that kind of setting. Even with like they go and they work at the restaurant here, maybe a mini game. You go and do a shift at the claw or something, Great. and like that's you know, right up that that Nancy Drew game alley. Exactly. <laughs> so more than anything, that's what this uh, this book made me think about while I was reading it. Yeah. Not so much uh, actually enjoying the mystery, but just made me think of how much the CW show would be perfect for this exact mm. type of setting. So. Anyway, yeah. that is not what we came here to talk about today. But No, we came here to talk about Mystery of the Tolling Bell and my God, what we have to talk about. Do you want to try a 10 to 3 words? Um, <laughs> boats? I don't know. Boating. It's boating. definitely boating. <laughs> boating is one of the words because every day these girls are in a boat. Yeah. Every single day. <laughs> um, 
I think it also just has to be Ned. Like it's oh, just yeah. the Ned show. It's absolutely Ned. It's Ned on every you're page. Right. Ned is everywhere. Perfume. Yeah. <laughs> or like yeah, like beauty makeup. products. Yeah. yeah. Or just beauty in general, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Because like there's that. lots of like stuff about um, Minnie. Is that her name, Minnie? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, even yeah, how they kind of talk about. Madame too is very mm-hmm. interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, I think kind of just beauty, Ned, and boating. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that not the vibe. Up. Yeah, that's not the vibe. I wanted the vibe to be spooky cliffside yeah. with the the thick ghost fog and Bell. then the ghost pirate coming in, and then yeah. we get like five minutes of that in the first couple mm-hmm. of chapters, and then it's like, oh, guess what? Perfect. <laughs> Ned. <laughs> Even the bell stuff is like really random and doesn't seem old. interesting. Yeah. Like AH's character is so annoying. And when we go to talk to him about bells the first time, it is so weird. And even you can tell like Nancy, Bess, and George were like, yeah, um, so anyway, um <laughs> about this ghost thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But okay. No, I think that's a good three words. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Do you want to jump in? Yeah. Do you want to start us off? Sure. Okay. So (laughs) we start off the way we usually do um, with George complaining and policing (laughs) Bess's diet. Um, It's just so familiar. It's just, you know, what, you know what? Let's just hold on. Let me just explain because we're going to talk about this later. So we might as well talk about it now. Um, Bess is hungry because they're on a road trip. And so she wants to stop and get food. And George says, you shouldn't be. George says bluntly, you shouldn't be hungry. You shouldn't be thinking about food. Glancing at her cousin's slightly plump figure. There we go. Great. Mm. Excellent. Thanks so much, George, for your input. (laughs) You shouldn't be listening to your body, Bess. How dare you? Well, it's like... And, and it's clearly, like, lunchtime or dinner time or something because Nancy says later, like, we have to eat calories or not. Which, yeah. thanks, Nancy. I think that's probably the first, like, supportive thing that Nancy has ever said in response to George yeah. and Bess's no. <laughs> issues about weight. Um, but so, like, clearly it's, like, time. And she suggests, like, lobster. So it's, like, you know, it's clearly they need to eat. Yeah. And so... George is just being mean for no reason. <laughs> just for no reason. Because she thinks Bess is fat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so she just wants her to starve herself. <laughs> that's the it. The comments are enough, but to, like, side-eye her and, like, stare... Yeah, that's... Mm, anyway. Anyway, so that's how we start. Um, but, it, but what is really happening here is that all three girls are taking a road trip to the small seaside town of Candleton, where Carson is also heading separately. He's not traveling with them uh, because he wants to assist this woman who was apparently swindled out of a lot of money. And he's asked Nancy and I guess Bess and George to come down. Um, and her name is Mrs. Chantry. She runs a tea room and a gift shop. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of like implied that she has to do this now because she's lost all her money, um, which I think is just so funny and so classist. It's like, oh, she's now, you know, one of like the common people. She has to run a restaurant because she doesn't have her just her generational wealth anymore. Oh. <laughs> 
it's like, well, how did she buy the restaurant? That anyway, anyway, it's a different time. Yeah. Um. Uh, also, apparently, ghostly and unexplainable things keep happening along the coast of Whitecap Bay, which is where Candleton is located. Um. So they're driving on this road trip, and then they come upon this small town where they decide to stop for lunch and walk around a bit. And then they come across this woman with a French accent who is selling cosmetics from a cart, like, out on Main Street or something. Um, And it's clearly a bit of, like, a shady outfit. Um, Like, it's – she's, like, clearly kind of not explaining where the products come from. And the girls even kind of, like, sample it. And they're like, oh, this is, like, not great or whatever. But it's clearly, like – attracting a lot of attention from like local girls in town and like everybody's really like clamoring to get this makeup and this perfume or whatever and so Bess decides to buy a bottle of perfume despite Nancy and George discouraging her from doing that and being like I don't know Bess I don't think this could, this could be really bad or whatever um, but she does um, and after she buys that the woman then like quickly hurries away um, so that like you know she can't ask for her money back once she opens it right um, then a horse who is like drawing a carriage nearby, uh, gets startled in the street and then like runs towards them on the street. Um, and everyone scatters, but Nancy, I, I don't know why she decides to do this. I guess out of some, you know, inner heroine situation decides that she's going to move the makeup cart out of the way because the woman abandoned it and the horse is running directly towards it. She doesn't want to hurt the horse, so she moves the makeup cart and gets out of the way just in time. Everybody's fine, um, so they start to leave, but then a stranger runs up and, like, grabs Nancy's arm and calls her a thief and calls for the police. Nancy quickly realizes that this woman thinks that Nancy owns the cart because she just moved it, so she thought that it was, like, her, like, pushing the cart because she owned the cart, um, and is upset because her daughter apparently had an allergic reaction to that makeup, um, and so she's trying to call the police to get Nancy arrested for selling bad makeup, I guess. Was it an allergic reaction, or was she just mad for buying it at all? I don't know. I thought it was an allergic reaction. I thought it was just the mom <laughs> thought it was like ugly and like poor quality oh, makeup, and she's like, "You stole her money because you shouldn't have been charging five dollars for this." That's well, I too think much. she and... said, "Yeah, I think she said something about like her face being like red or something." But maybe, oh. so maybe I, I thought that was an allergic reaction, but maybe she just meant that like she looked terrible with it on her. It's <laughs> funny. Oh, good around. Whatever. Oh well. Um, she's mad. And Nancy's trying to explain, like, no, 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 I don't own that cart. Like, I was just moving it or whatever. She doesn't believe her. But, and then the police come over. But, like, thanks to, like, this random dude, literally some random guy who we even learn is, like, a professor. We learn his name and everything. He, like, vouches for Nancy because he saw the whole thing. And so because he says so, they let her go. And then even the woman is like, oh, I must have been mistaken. And If a man away. says so, then... I have to accept that. Seriously. Even though Bess and George are literally right there being like, no, no, no. We saw. We know what happened. Nobody believes them until a random man of somewhat authority because he's a professor is like, oh, I can, I can, I saw everything. Anyway, 
So the girls leave. <laughs> they head to Mrs. Chantry's house. Um, and Carson hasn't arrived yet. And Mrs. Chantry isn't even at her house. She's at her tea shop. So the girls um, head straight there. Okay. This tea shop is named the Salsendy Shop. What a terrible name. But the girls say it's, like, clever. That they it, like, means something. It. Yeah. They think it's this great name. Mm-hmm. What, is it supposed to mean something? Like, is this a play on words that I don't understand? I think it's just not as cute as they think it is. I think it's just <laughs> I think they're just wrong. It yeah, it's they seem to like say that it has something to do with like the seaside, and so salsa and D. I guess sea is kind of in there, but then where's she all said sand? It's, um, sandwiches, salads, and dandy tarts is the reason that it's that. Oh, so I don't know. It's if it's. Sal Sandy or Sal Sandy, like Sal, like salad, salad Sal sandwiches, Sandy, and, Sal yeah. Sandy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes so much worse. <laughs> I was like, I don't get it. I don't get I it. Mean, even if you do get it, it's like okay, <laughs> it's, it's just a mashup of three words that are fine together. Hey, listen, we like three words around here. We do like three words. <laughs> it's fine. It's That's not a, funny. It's not the cutest thing in the world, but it's no, whatever. yeah. Uh, oh well. <laughs> So anyway, they go to the South Sandy, um, and it's crowded and busy, and then they ask a waitress inside, and she says, like, yeah, two of, like, our waitresses didn't show up today, so everything is crazy, um, and Mrs. Chantry is back in the kitchen. So they go back into the kitchen um, and talk to her and basically, like, immediately offer their assistance because clearly she is in the weeds, um, and she uh, gratefully accepts, and then they just start to wait tables. Um <laughs> Apparently, they have a lot of experience doing this. Um, yeah, because they've been working so. at the claw all this time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry. Like, when have these girls actually waited tables in the mystery series? Like, never, mystery stories. Never in never. their lives have they waited tables. <laughs> what if these girls worked? have never worked an hour. <laughs> but clearly, they're very good at it. Um, so they wait tables. I think George helps Mrs. Chantry in the back making salads or something. <laughs> it's wild. Anyway, um, so Nancy's waiting tables, and she ends up waiting on a man with white hair and spectacles who tells her that he's new in town, and he's looking for something called a Paul Revere bell. Apparently, they are these bells that Paul Revere made. I didn't know Paul Revere made bells. Yeah, I didn't either. Actually, I don't even – let's that look real? that up. Let's see if that's real. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what do you know? He did it make is bells. real. Cool. Yeah. Revere bells were cast out of the bell foundry of Paul Revere. Starting in 1792 in Boston, he became known professionally for his foundries. Awesome. Okay. Today cool. I learned. <laughs> you can't say that these books are all fluff. There's real life history in there. <laughs> you just can never tell when it's real and when it's not. Right. <laughs> Um, so this guy's in town looking for this bell, um, and he asks Nancy about it, but Nancy is like, yeah, I'm also new in town, and I wouldn't know, I don't know anything about bells, and so he's like, okay, so he leaves. Um, and as Nancy is clearing up his plate, a scrap of paper falls to the ground, and she picks it up to read it, and it says in French, whoever finds this may become enormously wealthy, In one of my XXX cast bells are embedded many jewels. Hmm. Hmm. Treasure? <laughs> Sounds like treasure to me. Yeah. yeah. But also triple X bells. What is this? A pornographic bell? Uh, yeah, I thought that as well. I was like, what? 
<laughs> Live nude bells. Um, mm. <laughs> um, so um, Nancy decides that this is an important note, clearly, so she leaves it at the shop in case the man comes back to get it. Um, and then they go home. Later that evening, it's become clear that Carson is delayed somehow, and he hasn't left any kind of message for Nancy, which has her concerned, like, what's happened to Carson? Um, she asks, but she decides, even though Carson's not there, that she's going to ask Miss Ch- Mrs. Chantry about the mystery anyway. And so Mrs. Chantry tells us that it's rumored that this cave nearby named Bald Head Cave is inhabited by a ghost, and that several accidents have happened in that area recently. Um, apparently the, this like bell will toll and then water rushes out of the cave. And if people don't leave the area quickly enough, they're like engulfed by the water and drown. And it <laughs> takes Nancy 20 more chapters to understand that this is how tides work. <laughs> that, that's what happens to a sea cave when the tide comes yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny. I know. When, when when she says that, when they're like out swimming or whatever, she's like, oh, I've just realized. I'm like, wow. How? I- <laughs> Especially when they go time it, they're like, Bess and George, note the time exactly to the minute. I have to know. And she's like, that's about when the tide comes in. I wonder. It's It's so funny because it made me feel so stupid too. But the way that they talk about it makes it seem like it's like this weird, like it's a weird way that this happens. That Mm -hmm. it's like not just like the cave filling up with water, which is clearly just what's happening. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, obviously it's the tide. (laughs) Nancy, good grief. Why 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 did we not think about this? we were told this. Well, and all uh, the townspeople as well. It's I so know. mysterious how every day at about the same time, the cave fills with water. It's so mysterious. They have to, like, concoct this ghost story. I mean, I know it's not fully concocted, but it's like, even the fisherman who she runs into and, like, rescues later is like, I don't know how that could possibly happen. He's a local fisherman who's been fishing here for, like, 20 years or something, he says. And he doesn't know that I mean, when the, the water comes in. weird. But yeah. you you can connect it. It's the tide. That's why the no, water so rises. <laughs> it's like clearly like this isn't a new occurrence. Like this must have happened every single time the tide has come in forever yeah. for this cave. It's just the bell and the ghost part that are new. So it's like the water rushing really shouldn't be that weird to everybody. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it is. Whatever. So that's the mystery, guys. That's the very mysterious occurrence. The tide, and then a ghost in a bell. Um, the next morning, there's still no word from Carson. So Nancy decides that to keep her mind off of worrying about Carson, she's going to go visit Baldhead Cave. Um, so they rent a boat. <laughs> her and George rent a boat. First time. Definitely not the last time. Um, and they go out to the site. As they approach, they see, like, a man above the cave, like, up on the cliffside with a telescope, just looking out, and they just assume that he's a local, but they're going to see him again many times. Um, They stop outside the cave because Bess doesn't want to go into it. Mark this as another Bess psychic moment. Yes. Um, Bess comes through in this in a big way. Bess is great in this book. big way. Yeah. Hashtag Team Bess. Major Team Bess moment. Bess saves all of their lives. Um, well, I mean, not Nancy, but she definitely saves George, George's mm-hmm. life, which is like, hmm, 
Yeah. Yeah, Jordan. That's what you that's what you get for being mean to best. Um, be a little bit more appreciative of her next mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Also, anyway, we'll talk about it. Yes. We'll talk about it when we get there. I'm getting mad ahead of time. Um the best really doesn't want to go in. She says that it's spooky, it's creepy, she doesn't feel good about it, whatever, she doesn't want to go in. But Nancy and George try to convince her, and Bess just stops cold. And she like, shakily says that she just saw a ghost in a white robe going back into the cave. <gasps> um, but they don't hear a bell. And so they're like, oh, well, maybe you just imagined it best because you're scared and you think you saw something. Uh, but I don't hear anything and I didn't see anything. So we're just going to paddle into it. Um, you can stay in the boat if you want, Bess. But George and I, we're going to go in and we're going to investigate. So horrible. Anyway, <laughs> so Nancy rows the boat into the cave and she gets out and explores like the ledge in there a little bit with George. Um, but Bess is not leaving the boat. But then George stops and George says that she just saw the ghost now too, like farther back into the cave. Mm. And Nancy still hasn't seen it at this point. And she's just like, okay, are you just getting spooked? Like what, like what is going on? Um, she's like, you can go back to the boat if you want, George, but I'm going to keep going. Um, but just then they hear the tolling bell, like a deep tolling bell. And then suddenly they hear the rush of water. Um, and Nancy tells George, literally she tells her run for your life. (laughs) Very spooky. This is a, I mean, honestly, a good scene. This is a nice little scene. Exciting. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so George starts trying to run for her life she's a little bit ahead of nancy so she has a little bit further of a chance to get to the boat but right away nancy can see that neither she or george are going to have time to make it to the boat but Bess is still standing right there so she's like Bess, go cast off save yourself get out of here so Bess like realizes this is her chance to get out of there so she does um she unties the boat from I guess wherever she had it tied up on the ledge and she's like clinging to the side of the boat and the water just like sweeps her like up and out of the cave. Just this massive wave comes through. Um, She ends up like getting trapped like underneath the boat and then has to like, she's like clinging to it, has to like manage to flip it and then trying Mm -hmm. to like, you know, bail water out of it and then yeah um the oars are of course gone now so she's trying to like cling to the boat with one arm and like paddle the boat with her other arm and it's just sounds terrifying honestly so she uh, you know as soon as she kind of gets her wits about her she starts looking around for nancy and george doesn't see either of them but eventually she spots a swimmer way out over yonder and hopes that it's one of them. So she makes her way over there and it is George. Um, and she gets to her like just in time before she like starts to lose her strength and Bess has to like grab her. And, um, she tries to like pull her into the boat, but the motor is like flooded and they can't get the boat working. So she has to like, Oh, and George is like injured as well. Cause I guess mm-hmm. she'd hit her elbow or her she arm her on arm, the rock. Yeah. yeah. When she got ejected from the cave. So one of her arms is just like completely limp and she can't swim. So Bess has to like carry her back to the shore basically Hell on her back. Yeah. Bess. <laughs> um, yeah. This is really a big hero moment for Bess because she's Seriously. able to like manage it. And Bess herself is absolutely exhausted from all this effort of trying to swim herself and George and boat back just with her hands um and so she 100 percent saves george's life and it's oh, like she she does clearly she can't be that out of shape if she's able to save you like that george right hmm? Mm-hmm. Hmm? Yeah. 
somebody Where's who has that? a little bit more endurance than we give her Sounds credit Sounds like for. those five extra rounds might have helped in this situation. Hmm. Maybe. Giving us a little buoyancy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Take maybe back, there are George. times when, when, when <laughs> one might appreciate that. Hmm? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should get on board, George. Yeah. <sighs> annoying so she gets george like onto the beach george is you know recovering for a second here and Bess almost like passes out herself from exhaustion but then she rallies because she has to go back and get nancy um does she manage to get the boat working at this point no i think she's still just like paddling with her hands i think she jumps I back into the boat they actually saved the boat i forgot this but they definitely return it somehow oh no that's what it is because they mentioned that there's the watertight compartment inside the boat and Bess is able to get in there and there's a towel in there and she uses oh. that to like dry off the motor and somehow that gets oh, it working yeah. again yeah they so dry she, it off yeah yeah they just like so wait she, for it to dry out mm-hmm. yeah yeah so she gets the boat back out into the water I think George is still on the shore and she's like looking around for Nancy and she can't see her anywhere and she starts to like panic a little bit um but then all of a sudden they hear Nancy's voice and she looks up and Nancy's just like on this ledge above the cave <laughs> Nancy, how did you get up there? Like, the waves weren't <laughs> high enough to, like, wash you up there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so Nancy is, like, yelling to them, but because of, I guess, the uneven, like, cliff line of the rocks, she's not able to see where Bess and George are. Um, and so I don't think that um, Nancy can hear them either because I think mm-hmm. Bess is shouting to her from the boat. But so Bess, like, tries to maneuver the boat to get closer to her, but then when she gets over there finally and looks back up to that ledge, Nancy's just gone. <laughs> Great. Mm. Um, so they figure, okay, maybe she found like another path, like up to the top of the cliff to like get out. So what they decide to do is they go back to the shore. They return the boat. George has an extra key to Nancy's car. So they just get in Nancy's car and then are going to go drive and pick her up. But it, then at this point, the book kind of switches to Nancy's point of view and we see what's going on with her. Um, I hate when they do this, by the way. Really? They do it multiple times in this book, but every single time we like switch perspective, it's not the switching perspective that irritates me so much. It's the fact that we switch perspective, but then we like go back in time mm-hmm. and we yeah. relive that with someone else's perspective. And it's so confusing. It's so jarring. It takes me directly out of the mystery. I'm yeah. like, <sighs> like, I just give me one person's perspective mm-hmm. and then the rest of the thing, like we can catch up in a way if we just have like good writing but we don't it's like they don't know another way to describe what has happened except to go back and just pretend that like yes anyway this is something that it was even worse in the original text because that's something that they cut was they did it even more often oh god swapping the views and we get ned's point of view like a little too much oh god we don't need to know what ned's up to for this part we just he comes in and saves everybody that's all we need to know um (laughs) But yeah, now we're um, now we're kind of seeing from Nancy's point of view here. Um, apparently, the water, like you know, when she was thrown out of the the cave, she was able to like pull herself up out of the water by grabbing onto these rocks, and then made her. Um, she couldn't find a way down, obviously, to get back to the beach, so she just went up. Um, and then she goes all the way to the top of the cliff, and she's so exhausted by this point that she decides to just lie down, and she starts describing how, like, oh, it's so warm and sunny, and I'm just so tired, and my muscles are aching from all that swimming and climbing, and it's just, like, it just kind of smells slightly sweet in this meadow, and she just starts to get really sleepy, and she decides to lay down. And then she gets, like, actively drowsy. Like, she almost gets a little bit dizzy and starts to kind of fade out, so she's like, okay... Clearly, I just like overexerted myself. I'm just going to lay down here for a minute um, and feel better. And then she starts to like wake up and 
she's not fully awake, but she starts to come out of her little nap and she hears some men's voices um, off in the distance a little bit. And she's like, oh, that's kind of weird. I wonder who that could be. But then she gets a little bit sleepier and she tries to stand up, but then she's like, no, I'm just still so exhausted. And then she just goes unconscious. And then we go into her dream and we kind of get the, <laughs> the idea of what Nancy's dreaming about here. And she dreams that little brown elves come over and cast a spell on her to like make her sleepy. Um, and she can hear them like talking about her and deciding what they're going to do with her. And then she dreams that they pick her up and they carry her a really, really long distance and then put her down on a couch that's really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but then she, she wakes up and realizes that she's just in a ditch and she's uncomfortable because <laughs> she's laying on some rocks <laughs> in a ditch. <laughs> um, and she's like, "Oh man, I must have been out for a really long time. You know, the sun's starting to go down. This is really weird." Um, so she realizes I need to try to figure out what happened to Bess and George because she still doesn't even know if they made it out okay. Um, so she's trying to figure out where she even is right now. And so she just starts walking down the road. And I think she goes for like a mile or so. Yeah. She's just walking. And finally she comes to this farmhouse. Farmhouse has a well outside. So she starts drinking from the well. And a woman comes out of the house at this point And is like, you poor thing. What's going on with you? You weren't at Bald Head Cliff, were you? And Nancy's mm -hmm. like, oh, play it cool. What's Bald Head Cliff? <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, um, you know, we don't have a phone here. You're going to have to keep walking to, like, there's, like, a dairy down the road. They have a yeah. phone. You can keep walking down there if you need to call someone. Um, and Nancy asks if they have a car. And she's like, well, my husband's out of the house right now. He's not going to be back for a few more hours. And Nancy's like, well, I can't wait a few more hours to try to find Bess and George. So I guess I just got to keep walking. Um, so she starts walking. But then a car comes up, like, behind her in the drive. It starts coming towards her. And she's like, oh, hey, maybe, maybe it's that lady's husband maybe i can maybe it's just some other rando maybe i can flag this car down and ask for a ride or something so she starts like you know trying to hitchhike and she realizes it's her own car <laughs> she's like hold on wait a minute and so you think oh good bess and george managed to um find her and are coming to save her ned jumps out <laughs> And runs up to Nancy and asks her how she's doing. Apparently, he has he's in the area because he's staying here for the summer to sell insurance to his parents' <laughs> friends. What? I'm sorry. I just dropped stuff because I was so... This is wild. Well, how many jobs does this boy have? Oh, in, in the original, he's just there for vacation as well. He's just also on an unrelated vacation nearby. Why is he here selling insurance? Just I know this is, I'm sure this is supposed to be some summer job or something, yeah. but it's like what? selling insurance so Why many times. Yeah. So many times that it is like on a school project or something. Mm -hmm. And I get that. But like, what a random thing yeah. to choose. <laughs> I just hate this so much because Bess and George have everything that they need in order to go rescue Nancy. But instead of just going straight to rescue Nancy, they decide to go get Ned and then bring him back so that he can do the rescuing. Mm -hmm. Like they just needed him to do the driving, even though George says her, her arm is fine now by the time she actually gets in the car. So there's yeah. no problem with either Bess or George <laughs> to drive. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be that they didn't like they couldn't find her. And so they went back to the house because I think it's been a significant amount of time. And when oh, they were there, okay. they just ran up. into Ned because Ned was was coming by to visit because That's still so cheap. I know. 
<laughs> hey, Ned, come help us rescue Nancy. Well, but then it's oh, also yeah, like... Oh, no, I see your note now. Sorry. Yeah. It, well, then it's also like, you know, why, like, why... How come Ned can find her? Like, why is Ned yeah. special? And if they couldn't find her, why can Ned? You know? Yeah, they just decided mm. to drive around a little more and he got lucky. And he gets to be the hero. Right. Even though Bess is the one who saved the boat. Bess saved everyone. Their rental deposit. Their, they, she saved George, who fat shamed her earlier. Right. Like, <laughs> like, all of this stuff. And I'm sure she drove the car, like, because yeah. George's arm was hurt or whatever. So, uh Yeah. Bess. So. Bess is the, Bess is the hero, not Ned. Bess is the hero, but Ned gets the hero moment. He jumps out. He gets Nancy back into the car. She tells them what happens. Nobody's particularly concerned, and they're like, that was weird. Maybe we'll come back <laughs> You must have been tired. <laughs> try it again. Yeah. Um, so then they all go back home, and then they have breakfast. Or I guess this is the next morning. They have breakfast, and Nancy decides that she is going to go to the post office to see if maybe Carson had, like, tried to get in touch with them, and the mail just couldn't be delivered for some reason. So they go. There's nothing from Carson. So they go back to Mrs. Chantry's house. And when she gets there, there's a phone call for her. Um, and she's like, oh, finally. Hey, Dad, what's going on? And in response... Not Carson's voice. It's this stranger's strange man says that he's calling on behalf of Carson. Says, "Hey, I'm calling for your father. Um, he would like you to come meet him at the Fisher's Cove Hotel this afternoon. Come alone." <laughs> okay. Great. That sounds like a hostage exchange, not a legitimate <laughs> message from her father. Right. So Nancy, finally, her spidey senses start tingling here and tell her this could be a trick. <laughs> um but she's so worried about carson she can't not go on the chance that it's real this, this is, is so crazy. funny because i <laughs> i this is so funny i never thought it's that true. this would have worked no. like i was screaming nancy why would you go this is so we have to talk about this, this is so funny this i've never seen this happen before in a nancy drew book that right. i can remember <laughs> um but we'll have to talk about it when we get there because i don't want to spoil it because it's too good <laughs> So um, she decides she has to go just on the off chance that it is Carson. And Ned suggests, hey, if you're going to insist on going alone, let me at least follow you in my car. Um, mm -hmm. And then I'll just at least, you know, be able to see what's going on just in case anything does happen. Um, so they, yeah, thanks it's for your It's a smart help, suggestion, but I'm just irritated about it because I don't think Ned deserves it. Why can't they all go? Whatever. <laughs> Um, so they, you know, they decide on this plan, they start to leave, and the phone rings again. George picks it up this time, and this time it's a woman's voice, and she sounds very agitated and says, has Nancy left for the Fisher's Cove Hotel yet? And George is like, no, why? Um, and the lady's like, don't let her leave, don't let her go, and then just hangs up the phone. Okay? Very <laughs> strange. So even more, you know, warning signals are it's going a off my head yeah. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um... So George tells Nancy this, and Nancy's like, whatever, I still have to go, obviously. <laughs> so she gets she gets to the hotel, and she's, like, going to go talk to the person at the front desk, but somebody else is already there, so she decides to just, like, have a seat and wait. And as she's waiting, this little old woman, like, walks past her in the lobby. Um, oh, and Ned has followed Nancy in, like, five minutes later, and he's sitting across from her in the lobby, so it's, it doesn't look like they're together. Um, but Ned is watching this, and this woman just walks past Nancy and drops a note in her lap. And then just keeps walking and leaves. Very strange. So Nancy opens the note and it says, your father is not here. 
you need to leave. Okay. Um, so Nancy gets, you know, she gets weird again about this. Um, I don't remember if this happens in the revised or the original, but in the original, she does like go up the road, make a phone call mm-hmm. and then like comes back. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and at that point, like Ned leaves and like gets lost. I, it's this whole thing. But then this other man comes out and asks for Nancy Drew and she's like, yeah, I'm Nancy. And he says, I'm, I'm Dr. Warren. You need to come with me at once. And Nancy's like, hold on, tell me what's going on first. Um, and he's like, yeah, your father's really ill. You need to follow me upstairs. There's no time to wait. You have to come upstairs. And Nancy's like, hold on, how do I know that any of this is legitimate? If my father was actually ill, why didn't you take him to a hospital? Um, and he's like, oh, no, no, your dad didn't want to be moved. This is, you know, this is what he wanted. And Nancy still doesn't believe him. So she, he's like, would it make you feel better if I had my, my identity verified at the front desk? <laughs> And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess that would help. Um, so the desk attendant is like, hi, what do you want? And he's like, would you please tell Miss Drew who I am? And he's like, yeah, you're Dr. Warren. What? Whatever. Leave me alone. Uh, and it's just very weird. It's um, a weird scene. Yeah, and everyone's just acting really shady about this. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, oh, you believe me now, don't you? And Nancy's like, I guess. And he's like, well, I mean, if you don't want to see your dying father, that's on you then. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, fine. If you put it like that, then I'll follow you upstairs. So not waiting for Ned to come back, she just, mm-hmm. like, goes upstairs with this strange man. Oh, sorry, he does kind of, like, manhandle her, too. Like, yeah, he, like, like at the very beginning, he, like, grabs her arm. He's like, you have to come with me right now. And she's mm-hmm. like, dude, get your paws off me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very weird scene. So um we do go upstairs and they lead to the door and he like just kind of stands aside and waits for her to go in first. And she's like, like, Oh geez. This is really strange. We're about to get like, you know, knocked over the head from behind and locked in this room or whatever. But then Nancy like goes in the room's all dark. She goes in and she just hears like, Oh Nancy, you're here. And it is Carson. He's fine. I mean, he's not fine. He's ill in bed, but he's here. It's legitimately him. Shocking. Did not expect that. (laughs) That's never happened in the history of Nancy Drew books ever that it hasn't been a trap. Right? (laughs) So at this point, the doctor just starts acting normal again. He's just like the shadiness just wears off and he's, she's like, what happened? And he's like, yeah, we don't know how he got here. Um, He just like showed up this afternoon in a taxi and the hotel people didn't know what to do. Like the maid found him in the parking lot or whatever. Um, So we just brought him up to a room and he's just been in and out of consciousness all day. And then the most recent time that he was awake enough to talk, he asked for Nancy. um, So that's when we call you. Um, So at this point, Carson does kind of come to and the doctor tells her that like sometimes he'll rally and seem fine. And then other times he just starts to seem really, really sick again. And he doesn't really understand what's causing that or why sometimes he's better and why sometimes he just starts getting sick again for no reason. Um, So the doctor leaves and Carson starts telling Nancy that he met with the men who cheated Mrs. Chantry um, in New York and then he flew into town. Uh, Once he got to the airport, the airport's only like 10 miles away. So he just got a taxi to come to this hotel to then have Nancy come pick him up, which is really weird to me why he wouldn't just get the taxi straight there or just have Nancy come pick him up in the airport. Yeah. (laughs) But apparently he like decided to share a cab with another woman who was also waiting. And then the, like the cab just left him there at the hotel. Um, Nancy just thinks that all of that is weird. And she's like, you know, when could you have 
like gotten sick or anything. And Carson kind of theorizes that maybe the men that he met with in New York gave him some sort of slow acting sleeping pill or poison or some sort of drug that is only now affecting him like the next day or a few hours later. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Nancy's like, hold on, stop talking. Cause she hears somebody right outside the door that was like eavesdropping on them. Um, so she runs to the door and nobody's there. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, she's sure she heard someone, but there's nobody there. This happens all the time too. We never learn who this is, but I think it fits enough into the mystery that it doesn't irritate me as being just like a random. Uh, we do like, learn who it is um, later. Oh, we do, but it, well, sorry, no. In the original, we we do. They do uh, cover that, okay. but it was just. It's one of those things where we just see Ned's perspective of this. Like he sees the oh. lady leaving the door. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it's no. who you think it is later. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There, I mean, there's lots of people that it could be at this sure. particular point. It's when we, especially when we get an explanation later. So it's not like, it's not like out of the realm of possibility. So I accept it, even though it's never truly explained in the revised text. So Carson's ready to leave though. He's like, I want to get out of this hotel, like, please get me out of here, Nancy. This is weird, whatever. Um, and he wants Nancy to take him to Mrs. Chantry's house. And Nancy isn't sure she wants to move him yet because he's still, he could be really sick. She wants to call the doctor and ask his opinion before she um, tries to move Carson. So she goes to make the call out in the lobby, um, but she can't reach the doctor, probably because he literally just left this hotel, Nancy, right? <laughs> not in his office yet. Um, so she can't reach him. So she goes back to the room. Um, but once she gets back, Carson is gone. He's missing. Um, the bed has been made and she even checks in the closet and his like suitcase and clothes are gone. Um, and so it seems like she's like am i in the wrong room like has he packed up all his things and left on his own because he doesn't know what he's doing because he's sick has someone come in here and moved him taken him um so she's panicking at this point ned is out in his car in the parking lot and i vaguely remember he communicated that he was going to be doing this somehow to nancy i don't know if he met her down in the lobby or whatever, but he's out there. He knows where Nancy is and he's paying attention. And so Nancy signals to him and he comes up. Um, they go get the hotel clerk to like unlock other doors on the floor to see if like maybe Carson wandered into another room or something or someone put him in another room. And eventually they find him. He's just in another room in that hallway. And Carson explains that he, when Nancy left the room, he got up and got dressed to get ready to go, packed all his stuff up. But then a maid came into the room to make the bed and clean the room. And, of course, he let her because he's about to leave, right? Um, but then he can't remember anything, and he just woke up in this room. Hmm. He doesn't remember how he got here. He doesn't remember what happened. Um, but the clerk is like, no, a maid didn't come into your room. The maids aren't even, like, working yet. Like, they, they literally only should have just gotten here, like, to start working. So I don't think that that's what happened. Um, but Carson is, like, really adamant that he's like, no, this happened. I know that this happened. I'm not confused about that. And I could even identify the woman who it was if I could see all your maids, right? And so he goes to get the maids and they all come up and Carson like, is like, no, the woman's not here. Um, she's one of their maids. Um, and he's like, well, these are all the maids that we have, you know, whatever. I don't know who you saw, 
But so Nancy is like, well, it must have been someone impersonating a maid. Um, okay. Whatever. So with the help of Ned, they decide to just get out of here because clearly some shenanigans are going on. So they get Carson down to the car and take him over to Mrs. Chantry's house. And Nancy essentially spends the next few days kind of caring for him until he seems mostly recovered. Then she and Ned decide to take a picnic lunch outside of Candleton. They go on so many dates <laughs> in this book. They really so many. do. Um, anyway, they're picnicking, and then they see the woman with a perfume cart walking down the street. And Ned also seems to recognize her, but he can't place from where. Um, then they like see her down the street, and she's arguing with this red-faced, like stocky man. And at one point... The woman even like points at Ned and Nancy. <laughs> the man sitting next to her like jerks her arm down, like, don't, don't shut up. <laughs> um, and then they like scurry off and away toward the beach. Okay. Very weird. Very weird. Um, after this, Ned takes Nancy to Mrs. Chantry's house and he heads home wherever he's staying. I don't know. Um, and now Nancy is just hanging out with Carson, who is still, like, recovering, right? And he tells us, he explains essentially what he was doing in New York and more of that story. So he tells us that a man named Harry Tyrox um, sold Mrs. Chantry bad stock. And so that's why Mrs. Chantry lost all her money, because she bought into this stock situation. Um Oh, and so Carson is afraid that she's never going to get her money back from this guy and his gang of sharp operators. Um, <laughs> and he tells Nancy that the only reason why, like, he invited her down here was to bolster Mrs. Chantry's spirits. Okay. This is a lame reason. It is really <laughs> lame. It's like, okay, thanks, Dad. I'm glad that that's what you think that I'm capable yeah. of. Not helping you get her money back, but just to cheer her up because right. you don't think that she's going to get her money back. <laughs> That sucks. <sighs> anyway, um, Mrs. Chantry is still having trouble in her tea room, so the next day the girls go there to help out again. Um, and it just so happens that the man who dropped that mysterious slip of paper comes by again that afternoon. Um, Nancy overhears him say to um, like the hostess that his name is Amos Hendrick. Um, and he's like, yeah, no, I dropped a note here. Do you guys still have it? But Nancy goes to look for it, and it's not where they left it in the shop. They can't find it. It's Great. missing. Mm. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I did find it, but now it's gone. And he's all upset about it because, obviously, it's a really important note, and he doesn't want anyone else to get their hands on it. Um And he also doesn't even want to tell, like, Nancy, Bess, and George about it because he – you know, I was trying to be secretive of it, but basically Nancy, Bess, and George convince him to let them help him solve this mystery, of course. So they go take a walk on the beach because he doesn't want to talk in the restaurant. And um, he just talks a lot about bells. <laughs> he just spends like paragraphs just explaining about the history of bells and like the American Revolution. Um but basically, Man, that's what he likes. <laughs> I know. Seriously, this is his special interest for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, um, but basically, he's interested in one specific bell that was made by Paul Revere. Um, apparently, he found this note, the note that got dropped in the restaurant, 
um, and his grandfather's things about this particular bell, which supposedly is encrusted with jewels. Um, and apparently it was also stolen from his grandfather's foundry by this guy. There's clearly a lot of history here, and he doesn't even really go into it. Um, it's just kind of like, okay, you're looking for a bell. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because Nancy and Bess and George were bored and didn't really care, which I can't blame them for. Um, but they tell him, oh, hey, you know, we heard a bell in Baldhead Cave. Could that be your grandfather's bell? Um, and he says he's heard about this bell, but he didn't think that, um, it was like a real thing, right? So he didn't believe that it existed, that it was just like a ghost story or whatever. Um, and he previously even went to the cave to investigate it, but he didn't hear anything. And so he just left, assuming it was you know, not real. But the girls assure him, no, 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 we were out there and we heard a bell. So they decide to meet up the next day to take a boat out to the cave and show him, basically. Um, so they row out there the next day, or I guess motor out there, whatever. I assume it's a motorboat. Um, and at first they don't hear anything. Uh, but then, you know, after a while of waiting, they hear the ghostly bell toll. Um, and Amos, who goes by A.H., um, because he prefers, he doesn't like his first or last name, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he goes by A.H. He gets overexcited um, and starts to row towards the cave. He, like grabs the oars and like takes off towards the cave even though the girls are like no 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 <laughs> this man is feral for his bells like they even <laughs> warn him that of, they tell him what happened last time and he's like yeah i get you girls but you know once a bell starts ringing there's no telling what i'm gonna do he's, so he's like what that. he's like okay <laughs> i mean just like you hear a bell toll and it just takes over in your brain and you can do nothing but get to that bell even if it means risking your oh life my God, what? he has to get to the bell. It's like the bells like make him go into a fugue state. Yeah. And all he can think is like bells. It's like his like drug of choice. That's hilarious. <laughs> dong. Dong. <laughs> so I love it. Um, but Nancy, so she manages to grab the oars from him and stop him, and he's kind of like snaps out of it. <laughs> It's like, sorry, I don't know what came over me. It's the bells. (laughs) (laughs) And then he like tells like this weird ghost story about this worker from the foundry with a bell joining pirates and disappearing off the coast. But it's not his grandfather's foundry, I don't think. It's just some random foundry. And so he like talks about like pirates and maybe it's a pirate cave and that's an old bell. I think it's just something that happened near this area, not necessarily anything that his family had anything to do with, which is weird. But And he just knows about it because he knows a lot about bells. There's pirates. We just that's all we get of pirates. There should be a lot more of the pirate history, in my opinion. But seriously. Seriously. Um so Anyway, um, since they're there, Nancy wants to do some more exploring. So she and George go to climb the cliff, um, and Bess and A.H., and Bess is still kind of freaked out. They both stay in the boat, right? Mm. So Nancy and George climb up the rocks, and Nancy shows George where she fell unconscious the other day. Um, George twists her ankle um, (laughs) because... Apparently, she can't do anything but injure herself in this book. Um, So she's just like, I'll just rest here. You keep going. (laughs) And so Nancy just leaves her. This is akin to the time when 
George lost her clothes in the oh. shed. With a, where that was, was that the was previous n- book. That was Crumbling Wall. Crumbling Wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they even refer to that. The They refer to a Crumbling Wall a few times in this book as well, which is fun. Remember that Crumbling Wall case? and. This is more dangerous than that, right, guys? Yeah, this seems more they dangerous. Should have referred to him, George being like, "You remember that time you left yeah. me in the shed naked, Nancy?" <laughs> and then a toddler stole—not a toddler, but like a twelve-year-old stole all my clothes from a rock. <laughs> well, let's take it. Boating adventures um, with Nancy Drew. <laughs> Boating disasters with George Fane. That's more like it. Chalk this one up. Another time, Nancy leaves me. <laughs> oh, you deserve it, George, man. You deserve it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. That's what you get for fat shaming this. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this is karma. That's karma, bitch. Anyway. Oh, my God. It's too funny. Um, so, Nancy keeps going. She walks on, and she comes upon this cabin that she didn't see the other day. So, she approaches it thinking that, hey, maybe the men who I heard overheard before I passed out yesterday, maybe they live here, right? Maybe I can ask them about this area or something. So she goes up to it. Um, but the cottage is like spooky and deserted and all she like even opens it. She goes in and there's like furniture and it's all like dusty and worn down. And there's even like moldy food on plates on the table in there. Like almost like whoever lived here just like got up and left one day and didn't even like wash the dishes before they left this is so spooky like they didn't even finish mm-hmm. their meal like something was that urgent that's Ooh. that's so chilling mm-hmm. and then suddenly nancy hears Bess shouting outside so she runs outside um she latches the door before she goes and she runs outside um and she runs over to the cliff's edge where george is and Bess is like standing down the cliff on the shore below and like shouting up at them and they can see that ah has taken the boat by himself and is just motoring off directly towards candleton leaving them stranded there at first i thought he was going to be kidnapping Bess, but i guess he just forced her out of the boat and she says later that she got out to take a like break like to take a walk like stretch her legs oh i see okay yeah in the uh, in the original, Bess does get out with George and Nancy at this point, but she also gets injured with George, so both of them end up <laughs> staying back. <laughs> like she's, it does, it's not even her ankle. She's like trying to climb up the trail, and it's too steep, so she literally just slides down and like, yeah. Oh my god! Horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like almost like falls out into the sea, and Nancy has to grab her, and they're like, "Stay here, Bess. How about you just don't go on?" <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Oh, man. Um, so this very much seems like A.H. is just stranding them in it there um, on purpose. Um, so this puts them in a pretty bad spot here. There's no other boats nearby. The nearest inhabited house is the same one that Nancy had stopped <laughs> at the other day when she'd asked about using the phone. Um, and George's ankle is hurt and also Bess may or may not be injured depending on which version you're reading. <laughs> um <laughs> But Nancy decides that she is at least going to take George and help her walk back down to where Bess is standing on the beach so that at least George isn't alone. And then she's going to go off and look for help. Um, When we get down there, Bess tells us that she, oh, this is where you were saying that. Bess got out of Mm -hmm. the boat to stretch her legs and then H just took off while she was out of the boat. Um, So she leaves Bess and George there and then she goes back up the cliff edge and sees the cabin again. But this time the door, the front door is just like flapping open in the wind. 
And Nancy's like, that's really weird because I'm like a thousand percent sure that I lashed that. So um, let me just go over and just make sure that like the latch isn't broken. I'll just reclose the door. No big deal, right? So she goes up and then she sees out of the corner of her eye a shadow just like flit around the corner of the house and disappear. Spooky! So she's like, wow, maybe maybe there was somebody here and I just missed them the first time. So she goes up to the door and she knocks. No answer still. She waits a second, knocks, nothing. So she just, all right, weird. Latches the door again and then she kind of moves on. Um, she kind of thinks though, like, no, the latch on this, it's not broken and the wind isn't nearly as, as strong as it would need to be right now in order for the wind to have just opened it on its own. So that's very strange, um, mm -hmm. but she brushes it off and she just starts walking in the direction of Candleton. Um, she comes back upon that farmhouse that we'd stopped at. Uh, is it just yesterday in this time frame <laughs> so, in the book? Yeah, so she yeah. comes back. And uh, just imagine the farmer and the wife that live there like, again? You're just like... <laughs> Just got stranded again. What's going on with you? Um, but this time when she gets there, the farmer and is like in his truck, just like sitting in the driveway. He's clearly like just about to leave. And so she catches up with him and is like, hey, are you going to Candleton? He's like, yeah, hop in. I'll give you a ride. Um, and then she gets back around to where they had originally rented the boat. A.H. has already come back and dropped the boat off and returned it and everything. So she just rents the same boat again, takes it back, <laughs> rescues Bess and George, and then they come <sighs> back. Should have titled this this book Adventures in Boating. Right. <laughs> um, Bess and George tell her that while they were waiting for her, they didn't ever hear the bell. They never saw the ghost. Everything's fine. So whatever. They get back in the boat, get back to land, drive back to Mrs. Chantry's house, and they're all fine here. Um, so once they get back, Carson starts telling Nancy that the men who swindled Mrs. Chantry have disappeared from New York. Um, after he met with them, I guess he got like a telegram from his assistant that mm -hmm. they just cleared out. Now that Carson knows where they are, they just left. Um, so now Carson is really upset with this because he gave them the opportunity to like make things right. And now they're just gone. So Nancy asked Mrs. Chantry, Oh, oh, she asked what Mrs. Chantry invested in, and Carson says that it was this fake perfume, this French mm. company named Moncure. Moncure. Mm. I mean, you're, you'd say it better than I would. You've had French. I never took Moncure. <laughs> my French is really bad. It's my heart. <laughs> However you say that in French. C-O-E-U-R. Um, that's which is the exact same perfume that Bess bought from the lady with the cart at the beginning of the book. So immediately alarm bells go off in Nancy's head and she's like, hold on, <laughs> is this not the same stuff? And so she starts telling him about the car and then the woman that was, you know, driving the car and then the man that she saw yelling, who was, who was yelling at the woman with the cart. Um, and Carson says, hold on, describe that man that you're talking about. And she does. And he goes, that sounds exactly like Harry Tyrox, who was one of the men that he was meeting with in New York. All righty. So at this point, Ned drives up and hears him talking and realizes that he remembers where he recognizes that woman from now. He saw that perfume lady at the hotel where Carson had been. Or like, I guess it's been a couple days now because he's recovering oh, yeah. and everything. But um, while Nancy was like upstairs with Carson and then Ned didn't see her go, what happened was Ned had like gone looking for Nancy and this woman had come out and been like, Oh, if you're looking for that girl, she left already. She's not in there mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so Ned, 
you know, he believed her and like goes out and that's why he was waiting in the car when Nancy eventually signaled to him right. and came up and everything. Right, right, and right. so rather than waiting in the lobby where he had been originally. Um, so that's why he recognized her was because she had tried to like get him to leave and throw him off the trail. So they decided that they're going to go around and like drive around and see if they could just find her around town. Maybe she's just out with her cart right now. So they do this, but no luck. Um, so they decide to go on a date again. They have to go, to go to dinner. And then afterwards, they decide to go back to the Fisher's Cove Hotel. Um, they talk to the desk clerk, who is not very nice to them. He's very uncooperative. And they say um, they don't really get any information out of this. So they call Carson. And Carson suggests that they get a plainclothes police officer to stake out the hotel. Carson decides to arrange this. So whatever. They Great. <laughs> end, end of the night now. And then the next day, they decide to go on a plan first. But Nancy says, first, we have to go to church service. <laughs> so they go to church. And then now that that's... Now that that's done, now they can resume the mystery. They right. drive all around, like, different small towns in the area and are, are hoping that maybe just the woman has gone to another town in the area. Again, this no is luck. insane. What a lead to, like, just spend your entire day on. I know. Driving around. Right. Um, finally, though, they stop in front of a drugstore where they see Moncor products are just being like advertised in the window. And Nancy's like, oh, well, I wonder if I should like tell them, hey, you're selling <laughs> crappy stuff. Crappy stuff, yeah. And Ned's <laughs> like, no, it might just be that the woman with the car, Madame, is selling the crappy stuff. But really the real – I mean it could be a legitimate company and she's just making right. fake products of that. They could just have the real stuff. So Nancy's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just buy some and then we can get a chemist to like compare it to the stuff that Best bought and then like real perfume as well. Um, so Ned says that he has a friend from Emerson who can do this and just has access to a lab that can do this. So um, he assures Nancy that the results will be accurate if we use his friend. So we send everything to him. And then also that guy has a friend and all three of the guys, Ned the, the and the two People are going to be dates, and the six of them are going to go on a double date to a yacht club dance. Triple date. <laughs> triple date. Yes, thank you. A triple date. And Bess and George aren't ever asked if they there. want to do this. The, no. Just Nancy just agrees for them. It's like, yeah, yeah, Bess and George will go on a date with your weird friends from Emerson. Sure. Um <laughs> But, like, so, they go through the trouble, too, of, like, explaining that, like, oh, that one of them is actually a guy that George has dated before. So they know each other, so it's fine. And then the other guy is a chemist, so, so vessel like that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Great. So, um, oh. yeah, so they, they go to the Yacht Club dance. They have a grand old time. They come back. They meet up at Mrs. Well, Gantry's home. Oh, sorry. They They don't go yet. Before no. they go to the dance, they get the results. That yeah. The friend brings the results. He says um, all the samples were poor quality. Essentially, that perfume you bought is little more than just um, water mixed with a mm -hmm. tiny bit of rubbing alcohol. So not yeah. good quality. Um, then they go to the dance, and then um, they come back. Well, not quite. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, they just go. Yeah, but before then, so like – Mr. Drew is after the chemist tells them that Mr. Drew, because 
Bess has a sample of the perfume. He has to see it. And then she brings it down and he smells it. And he remembers that the woman who was wearing, who was with him in the taxi was wearing that perfume. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he has this memory of... Like he just associates the smell. Like he gets overcome. Like he like has to like sit down because he's like, oh. And Nancy like thinks that he's being like drugged again or like he's having another one of like his attacks. And he's like, no, no, no. I just, I just have a really bad like visceral, like PTSD essentially from being drugged. Like with that scent. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. One step closer (laughs) to figuring it out. Great. Um, So Mm -hmm. yeah, they theorize, you know, maybe this woman in the taxi was the one who actually drugged him. With the perfume. Then they go to the dance. <laughs> yes. Um, and then the next morning, that's really all that they say of the dance. But then the next morning, Carson says that he has to go back to New York because his assistant has found an important clue about these perfume products and these people that are making them. So he has to leave town. But he asked Nancy to stay um, and also pack his stuff up for him because he can't do that himself. But <laughs> oh, yeah. he says, you stay here, you finish the bell mystery thing, and I'll go figure out this counterfeiting makeup. Whatever. Sorry to backtrack, but really quick, I just realized, I, I think I understand the whole dance situation now. And mm. I think essentially, like, because it's weird, it's weird that, like, why would they do this? Like, why would they not just, like, send the stuff to his chemist friend to be tested and then get the results by phone or mail Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, why is he coming to town to deliver the results? And why are they going on a weird date? Like, why is he having a date arranged for him? Like, also, he didn't agree to the date either. But I think what it is, it's like payment. Ew. Uh Uh-huh. It's got to be like, there's got to be something in it for him. So Ned arranges this date as like a form of like, entertainment for him we'll go on the date with you if you yeah. do the chemistry oh no you're That's right gotta be I don't it like that <laughs> this is what i mean about this book being weird and sexist it's creepy and then the whole thing so with sexist. like carson being like nancy pack my bags for me it's like <laughs> yeah you're a grown man you're a grown man anyway sorry uh-huh. didn't mean to interrupt but i no. just it just popped into my no, brain oh it, it adds too much context to it (laughs) oh there goes another flashlight um anyway so (laughs) so carson heads to the airport and nancy Beth, and george decide that they are going to go find this woman who mrs chantry had told them about Um, her name is mother mathilda and she is pretty famous in the area for her scented candles she's got this scented candle business but also she's just like lived in town so long that she knows everybody and everything that's ever gone in in town so she's like the woman to go see if you need to know (laughs) some piece of town history um so i love this lady she's awesome um we go meet her and she's you know in the process of making her candles and she's like complaining that a batch of her candles has been ruined she says yeah it's just you know i've been doing this for decades and my family has been doing this for like a century now of making these candles but i was the one who came up with this like technique to incorporate the perfume into the candles to make them smell nice and she's like this is the first time one of my batches has ever gotten ruined but you know because i've refined this process and i'm just so shocked that it's so gross and nancy then notices that she's got a bunch of empty perfume bottles kind of sitting on a table nearby and she's like 
is this the perfume that you use? Because it's the Moncor perfume. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I bought that from this great lady that just came to town. So it's, the, it's all the rage in France right now. So I thought, how could this not be it? And Nancy's like, well, that's probably because it's mostly water and rubbing alcohol <laughs> that you're putting in your candles there. Just FYI, this is a fake. I'm working on it. But yeah, just know that this is not a good operation here. Um, and Mother Mathilda is shocked by this because, you know, maybe this is just a bad batch or something because Moncor is a reputable brand. And Nancy's like, oh, I didn't know that. Is it like legitimately a brand? And then these people are just like knocking it off of like the real stuff from France. Um, and uh, Mother Mathilda is like, oh, well, no, because I met the guy and he showed me all these testimonials from France and how um, the stock is doing really well in New York right now. And so I bought a bunch of stock in the company. And Nancy's like, hold on, you also oh, bought no. stock like Mrs. Chantry no. did? And she's like, yeah, we all did. And Nancy's like, who, what, who are we all? And she starts <laughs> listing off like all of her neighbors, all of her friends. She's like, oh, and so-and-so down the street, like, bought, mm-hmm. you know, used all of her savings to buy this. And so like these people bought and these people bought and, and she's just like going down the list and Nancy's like, oh no, great. All these other victims that I'm going to have to like go help them as well. Um, so Nancy explains to her, you know, this is fraud. You've been swindled. There is no stock. I'm sorry. Um, she, Bess and George, buy a bunch of her candles to cheer her up. Apparently the candles are really nice or something, <laughs> the ones that actually did turn out well. So they buy a bunch of candles. Yeah. And then they ask her, because, I mean, this is the reason they've come, is for the gossip, right? So Nancy's like, who... Who is yeah, having that guys. cottage up on the top of Bald Head Cliff? And she's like, oh, that was the old McGuire family. And Nancy's like, well, what happened to make them leave so sudden? And she's like, well, I wouldn't call it sudden unless you mean dying is sudden for somebody who's really elderly. <laughs> and Nancy's like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, no, old grandpa McGuire and old grandma, they, they died. And obviously they are gone now but they left the house to the sun and i for some reason i thought the son and his wife were still there um but maybe they moved and i just didn't hear about it and she tells mm-hmm. us a little bit more she says that uh, old grandpa mcguire used to sit on his porch with a telescope and he would watch for fishermen returning from sea and whenever he'd see them he'd like run into town and tell everyone and then everybody would like come and be there to greet them when they got back i guess or whatever which is kind of cool um yeah. but Yeah, so supposedly the son is still living there or had just, like, decided to move off or something. So there was nothing – there was no, like, catastrophic event that made them go in the middle of their meal, you know, which is kind of strange. Mm -hmm. So they head home now, and the girls theorize that maybe the man – with the telescope up there, you know, maybe it's just like some guy with the telescope. Cause Nancy doesn't remember seeing a telescope inside the cabin when she was looking around. So she's like, maybe it was AH. This is so random and so weird. Why on earth would it be AH? What does AH have to do with the McGuire's and why would he have their telescope? Well, he's been acting shady, like abandoning them on the cliffside. So maybe That's he's up true. to something that we don't know about, you know? So mm-hmm. um, Nancy thinks that maybe when, he saw me approach the cottage the second time he like thought she'd discover something that she shouldn't. So maybe that's why he went off with the boat to like distract her from getting any closer to the cottage. So that's like their theory. And so they go to try to like track him down, but Nancy like never asked him where he's staying or anything. So they can't find him. Um, so then they go back to Mrs. Chantry's house and she's like, Oh, I'm so busy at the, the sandwich shop today. Could you go pick up some berries for me? Because I don't have time. Um, and Nancy's like, sure, we'll go get the berries, no problem. So they start driving off to 
wherever the berries are, whatever farm they're at. And she sees kind of like, it's like a side road. She has to pull off the highway from to like get to the dirt road that leads to the farm. And as she's turning, she sees a car that's parked off to the side, just pulled over on the side of the road. And there's two men just standing there having a conversation or maybe they're arguing or whatever and as nancy gets a little bit closer she sees that one of them is ah and the other guy is the guy that was talking to the perfume cart lady in the street when she was with ned so that's really weird yeah so that guy remember we think that guy is harry tyrox because right. we thought yeah so but nancy's like well we have to go pick up the berries first so <laughs> They go to pick up the berries. Um, and then by the time they get back, the men are gone. Go figure. Not like we couldn't see that coming. So, but then they like go out on the cliff. Cause I guess they're over in like the farms area where they were, which is near Baldhead cliff. And they, or uh, whatever that cliffs, I don't know, whatever. They, they see no, AH cliff, right. yeah. Yeah, in a boat sailing towards Candleton. So Nancy's like, aha, let's go intercept him. So they go and drive to the docks where he, they think uh, he's rented the boat from and they manage to catch him. Um, and they're like, dude, what the heck? <laughs> you know, why did you skip out on us like that? And he apologizes for abandoning them the other day, but he says he realized that he had an appointment and he couldn't wait any longer. Like he had like just forgotten and had to just like go. Okay. Anyway, Nancy is like, oh, was your appointment with the man that you were just meeting with? Like trying to like catch him out, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he seems surprised that they know that, right? And he says, yeah, that guy's name is Mr. James. He's trying to sell me a bell. Oh, okay. So that's why he just got up and left. A bell was involved. He couldn't help himself. He had to go. So, um, Nancy asks him to describe the man and the description that he gives matches that of Harry Tyrox, of course. Okay. Um, she does ask him if he ever spied on them through a telescope from the top of the cliff and he denies that. He says, no, that that's not me. Whatever. Later, um, they decide to go around to all the people that bought the fake stock that, um, madame matilda or mother matilda mentioned and um like explain that it's all a fraud and that they lost all their money or whatever and it's very sad <laughs> it's like yeah. a sad it's a very sad point in the book like nancy talks about how like people are incredibly upset and losing like their life savings and they just have to like go to like house after house being like hey. breaking the bad news <laughs> um and so after they've done this, they see Minnie across the street. And Minnie is the daughter of the woman who wanted Nancy arrested for the makeup cart debacle at the very beginning of the book. Um, and we go over and talk to her. Um, and Minnie explains that she has run away. And the girls go over to talk to her because she looks so bad. Like, they think that she's, like, in a bad way because she's wearing, like, gaudy jewelry and really bad makeup and, like, heels that don't fit. And they're like, oh, she looks like she's in a sad state. Like, mm -hmm. we need to go check on her. Uh, Great. Anyway, she's run away. And she says, it's okay, though, because I have a job working for Madame at the perfume cart. Um, which, all right. Um... And she tells her her job is to pretend to look awful and then Madame will fix her up with makeup and, you know, 
it'll be like this miraculous transformation and convince people nearby that they should buy the makeup, right? Um, and actually, they're having a demonstration tonight. <laughs> and Nancy's like, excellent. Like, we can catch this woman now, finally. Um, but Bess and George think that this might be dangerous or something, and they think that maybe they she should call the police, but maybe she should talk to Ned about it, and Ned can give his opinion on what to mm. do. Because he's a man, and he'll know. It makes more sense for Ned to go to a makeup demonstration than for Bess and George <laughs> to go with Nancy, right? <laughs> um... So Nancy has a date with him that night anyway. And on that date, she asks him if, if he thinks that they should have the police there in case to like capture Madame or whatever. And he's like, oh no, I can, I'll be there. I'll show up. I can handle it. Thanks, Ned. <laughs> Thank you. That's so Oh, how reassuring. I wish he would have his ass handed to him. How I <laughs> wish he would get yes. beaten up by Harry Tyrox. <sighs> Unfortunately. <laughs> They show up that night, the next night, at or no, it must be that night. That night. Yeah. To the demonstration where Minnie said it would be. But Madame never shows up with the makeup cart. And Minnie's clearly upset about it because she's like, oh, like, this is my job. Like, clearly, like, I'm not getting paid, you know, whatever. And Nancy kind of goes over to her and, like, you know pretends to be all like concerned like oh you know like where is she like what's going on you know I wanted to see your transformation or whatever yeah and um <laughs> uh, Minnie basically says like oh no no it's just a mistake like she must be delayed she must still be at home I'm sure this is just a temporary thing my job is legit right um and Nancy is like oh you know do you know where she lives like maybe we can go check on her. Maybe something happened to her, right? Even though Nancy yeah. knows that she's just not shown up, right? Um, and she's like, yeah, I have her address. Let's go. And Nancy's like, excellent. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. So they drive over to the address that uh, Madame gave Minnie, and it's a fake one. Madame does not live there. She never lived there. Or some other people live there who aren't even there right now. It's like their vacation home or something. And Minnie is, like, devastated, right? Because she's been fooled and she realizes it at this point. She doesn't have any money left. She doesn't know what she's going to do. And so Nancy essentially convinces her to let them drive her home to her parents' house. Um, and so they do. And her parents are very happy to see her. And they thank Nancy. And then they leave Minnie there. And even Ned praises Nancy as well. But this makes me so mad. Mm, this pisses me off so much. Nope. No. Well, it's also just like, even the fact that like, it's like Nancy tries to be like humble about it and be like, oh no, no, you know, I, I just gave the girl a ride or whatever. But Ned's like, you helped a young woman or whatever. And, <laughs> and it's like, no, she didn't. She used Minnie yeah. so badly. Like, like earlier in the day, she was out on the street alone. She was admitted to being a runaway. Nancy could have convinced her to go home at that point, but specifically chose not to right. because she knew about the demonstration that night that would solve her case. So she waits. And who knows what could happen to Minnie in that time. She clearly doesn't have a very realistic view of the world. So she could have gotten into some kind of trouble. And so oh. only now, and now she gets like thanked and praised by Ned and the and her parents. It's like, ugh. No, Nancy's just selfish. That's all yes. this is. 
And it's and it's not like she's like trying to be humble to like because she knows this, she actually knows that she's an icky person. She's trying to be humble and then she gets convinced that she did do a good thing. Great. By Ned. Because Ned's proud of her. Oh, I hate it. I hate uh, it so much. No. Anyway. <sighs> okay. So the next day, Best George and Nancy are all helping Mrs. Chantry at the Salsandy shop, and Nancy notices a quote unquote dwarf like man that she cannot place. Um in this is just wild. Um, so after work, um, George, Best George and Mrs. Chantry go to a concert, but Nancy begs off because she thinks that Carson might call that night, and so she goes home. He doesn't call, but while she is at Mrs. Chantry's home, a man comes to the door and says that Nancy has to come with him immediately because her father's in trouble. How many times are we going to have this, this storyline play out? Um, Nancy is suspicious of the man um, and is like, no, sorry, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. He also manhandles her, I mm-hmm. think. Yep. Um, and so she like has to like run back inside and slam the door in his face to like get away from him. And then the man looks like he's going to like try to like follow Nancy and like come into the house. But then he just, I guess, decides not to and turns around and gets in his car and leaves. Okay. Um, so after he leaves, Nancy goes outside to investigate and notices a bundle that, like, must have fallen out of the man's car when he got out. And it's hundreds of Moncourt labels. Um, but on top of, like, the little wrapping paper that they're in is a, like, sketch of, like, three little bells on the outside of the paper. So Nancy's like, oh, is are they changing their label from like the hearts that it was to like bells. Okay. Um, she goes back inside and someone else knocks on the door and she thinks that maybe that man has come back, but it's actually just Ned. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, and Nancy tells him what happened, but, um, she wants to actually go try to follow his tire tracks, track that guy down, see where he went. Um, so they do, and they successfully follow the tire tracks to a print shop. And there's a man there, he's working very late, um, and he tells Ned and Nancy that he's been working so late because he's been busy printing so many of these freaking Moncourt labels, right? And Nancy asks about the three bells, and he says, do you mean sweet chimes? Okay, so maybe they're changing their name also to sweet chimes? And he says, and he kind of explains that, like, this guy named Monsieur Papier, who we, based on his description, we think is also Harry Tyrox. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was there earlier and asked this guy to print these new labels with the bells on it. But he's like, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I can't do that. And so uh, Monsieur Papier, a.k.a. Harry Tyrox, just left, I guess, to go somewhere else. Um. Nancy realizes, so based on this, Nancy realizes that the man who came to her house must have been Harry Tyrox wearing some kind of disguise. Based on the guy's description, it seems like he was maybe wearing a fake beard or something and he put on an accent, right? Oh, God. Okay. So based on something this man, uh, uh, Harry Tyrox said to this print shop guy, um, he said he was heading somewhere with York in the name. So... Nancy decides that she and Ned should travel to nearby Yorktown to see if they can find Harry Tyrox, right? They search several of the hotels there without any luck, but then Nancy decides to stop at a restaurant, and the hat check girl 
tells her that, oh, actually, there's a Spanish woman who was just selling perfume here. She should be back a little bit later. Oh. Hmm. So Nancy's like, a Spanish woman selling perfume, not a French woman selling perfume. Maybe um, Madame switched her disguise and moved to a different town because she realized that the cops and Nancy and Carson were on her. She wants to stay to try to um, uh, wait for that woman. But at this point, Ned says they need to go home because it's late and Ned is tired. (laughs) Um, And so they do. And he just suggests that they tell the police about this so that they can handle it and they can go home and get some rest. In the uh. Uh, in the original, they actually get in a car accident on the way home, Ooh. and so that's why he's tired because it takes them to like two in the morning to actually get home because <laughs> oh. they're so delayed with trying to get a ride and everything. Okay, <laughs> which like there's no point to it. It's just and it's the bad guys that rear in oh. them and then realize that it's them, so they flee. And so Ned's like, "Wow, a hit and run, great!" And then they have to like walk <laughs> home. So that makes more sense in the in the revised text it definitely just seems like ned's like oh i can handle it like i can i you know i can do whatever you need me to do nancy blah blah blah, blah. and then when they get to this place he's like i'm tired yeah we gotta go yeah so <laughs> there wasn't much of a point to the the scene in the original mm-hmm. at all so i see why they cut it but it also yeah. just like didn't make anything in the revised make sense so <laughs> Anyway. Uh, I mean, it makes sense that, that Ned might be just like a little baby about it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that version more. Ned's just a baby. Um, anyway, um, the next day, Carson comes back to uh, Mrs. Chantry's home from New York, and he has nothing to report. He wasn't successful there. But Nancy tells him about everything she's learned since he's been gone. Um, and so he decides to go to Yorktown to check in with the police who've obviously been looking for these people to see if they've learned anything, right? Then Nancy, Bess, and George rent another boat and go for a swim, because why not? Um, we might as well chill out. Carson's on the case. We don't have to do anything. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're just having a relaxing time swimming and boating or whatever. When Nancy realizes, oh, wait a sec. <laughs> That rushing water, I wonder if it happens when the tide changes. So she has Bess and George wait in front of and wait in the boat in front of the cave and note the exact time that the water comes rushing out while she scales the cliff and watches the ocean on the other side of of the cliff, right? Looking for like a hole that might the water might rush into that fills the cave, right? Um, so she's on the other side of this cliff, um, looking around and while she's like about to climb it or whatever, she notices that there's a fisherman with his leg caught under a large rock and the tide's rising and he's like asking for help. So she goes to rescue him. (laughs) So she rescues him, um, and he's grateful, grateful for her help. But of course the time that she's like used to save him is taken away from the mission that she was here for. Uh, But we learn that he is a local fisherman and he doesn't do anything really in this scene at all, except tells us that he's never heard about a hole on this side of the cliff. Um, This is weird because in the the original, he actually saves Nancy, not the other way around. But Nancy didn't need help. Like he saw her on the cliff and assumed that she was stuck and was like screaming (gasps) to her like, Hey, Titus coming. You need to, 
you need to get up here fast, otherwise you're going to drown. And Nancy Lake is like, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm just looking for this <laughs> hole. I've still got like another 20 minutes. It's fine. And the fisherman is like, no, 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 the tide is coming like now. You don't have 20 minutes. You need to get up here. So he takes his fishing net and casts <gasps> it out over <gasps> Nancy and then physically drags her back up the cliff, but isn't strong enough. So drops her <gasps> and she's like tangled in the net and is like, was not needing help. And she's like, I didn't need you to be doing this to me. And so she has to like struggle through the net to then covered in the net, like climb back up the cliff herself because the fisherman is incapable of helping her, even though he was trying to physically force her okay. up the cliff, which makes Hot this take. even worse. Hot yeah. take. That is much better than this scene. Oh, well, it's more exciting, but. Well, not just, just that. So demeaning. But I think it's definitely demeaning. It's definitely awful. It's definitely sexist as hell on the part uh -huh. of the fisherman. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's an excellent representation of the kind of stuff that Nancy is up against. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's you know what say. I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and and clearly she's upset by it, right? And clearly she doesn't need if she's if it's clear that she doesn't need the help, clear that she's not in danger, clear that that guy doesn't know what he's doing, and in yep. fact causes this to be a bigger disaster yeah. or whatever. That should have been that she should have kept that. That's good. Yeah, you know. Nope, that shows Nancy prevailing against the sexist circumstances of the world. That doesn't show. That doesn't make the book sexist. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, true, okay. but yeah. This is now in the revised text. It's just random, and the stupid yeah. guy who doesn't—they give him a name. He doesn't need a name. We never see him again. He doesn't yeah. contribute anything useful to the mystery. Nope. He just takes up some time, and then it's over. Yeah. So yeah. So this is just to get Nancy away from what she was trying to do. Um, but eventually, she gets back to the boat with Bess and George, who tell her what time the water started rushing out of the cave, um, and they realize the bell told exactly on the hour, right before the water started rushing out. And then Nancy goes, "Oh wow, it must really be <laughs> coinciding with the tide." Great. Um, she really wants to go into the cave at this point, but promised Carson that she wouldn't, so they decide not to. Also, Bess isn't jazzed about the idea, so they don't. Yeah. Um, but that evening, they go back to work at the sandwich shop, and Nancy notices this dwarf-like customer again, as she describes him. She still can't figure out where she has placed him from, but she reminds her, or, sorry, she thinks that he reminds her of an elf. She's like, that's weird. Why would I be thinking of elves when I think of this man? But then she remembers her hallucination and thinks, huh, maybe it wasn't a real elf. Maybe it was just a human who I <laughs> seem to think looks like an elf. Um, who was just short. Just yeah. a short person. <laughs> Apparently there's this thing where he always will eat really quickly and then order a second thing of food to go for his wife and then just leave. So before she gets the chance to ask him any questions, he leaves with his food. Um, the next day she's working again and hopes to run into the man, but he doesn't come in, but A.H. does. Um, he tells her that he has not seen this Harry Tyrox guy again um, since the last time that we'd spotted him on the side of the road talking to him. But he thinks that the bell that Tyrox is trying to sell him is the jeweled bell that he's been looking for all this time um, because he did actually trace it to this area. Um, and the son of the guy that they know stole it originally also lives around here. Um, so he thinks that he is... He calls him an ornery, ornery little fella who's extraordinarily short, and he goes by the name of Grumper. God. Yeah, this is... God! Fun. Yeah. I mean, the stigma. Like, horrible. Like, and the fact that his, his like, actual name is Grumper. Like, yeah. you mean, like, Grumpy? 
like yeah. from like the from seven Snow dwarves White. like yeah. from snow White. like are you serious yeah who came up with this whose idea was this this is horrible harriet stratemeyer uh, well so no, okay, i think so, she did the outline but mildred wrote the original and then yeah i think so it was Sola yeah 1946 yeah yes yeah that's correct yeah, yeah. great stuff Mm-hmm. Um, so Nancy asks A.H. if there's any well, any way that the bell that's hanging in Bald Head Cave could be the same jeweled bell that he's looking for. And he says, no, definitely not, because the bell in the cave has a much deeper tone. The one that I'm looking for doesn't sound anything like that. So Nancy starts telling him, you know, I think we could still go in and look at this bell because I have this theory that it only, the water only rises with the tides because that's how tides work. Um <laughs> And she thinks, you know, if we went in at the right time, it would be safe enough to actually go deep enough into the cave to look for this bell. Um, so they decide to do this, although Nancy still thinks that it's very dangerous because she hasn't actually tested this theory. She just tells him that it's possible, so he is going to, like, take it and run with it. Um, but the next day, Nancy and Ned take a boat out to go explore the cave some more, um, but they learn that A.H. has already here basically and so right. they think that he is in active danger um so they rush over to try to like look for him and warn him but his boat is nowhere to be found nowhere to be found and as they get there they see the man high up on the cliff again with the telescope um nancy remarks that it, sh it doesn't look like it's ah but it does look f like he does look familiar to her mm -hmm. so i wonder what that could be but then they see a little flash of white near the cave entrance and Nancy sees that this is the ghost, right? Um, and then from within the bell starts to toll. Mm, of course. Yeah. Very, very spooky. Um, so the cave floods, of course, as we know it's going to do, but there's still no sign of AH. They kind of like half expect to see his boat get like ejected along with the water, but <laughs> nothing ever comes. So they decide that they're going to scale the rocks and try to see if they can talk to the telescope guy up there. But they get to the top and no one is up there. And then Nancy's like, oh, hey, Ned, remember when I passed out the last time? Um, this is kind of that same spot. Right and there. then she's, she starts to feel really dizzy again. And she notes that, like, yeah, she's feeling really warm and kind of sickly again. But that same, like, sweet, warm smell is just kind of still in the air around here. Um, and Ned thinking like, oh, you know, you're just exhausted from the exertion from climbing up the rock cliff. Let's get you home. So he takes her home. But then Nancy gets back to Mrs. Chantry's house and she starts putting herself through these like <laughs> endurance tests to see yes. like how long it takes her to get dizzy. And so she starts like zooming up and down the stairs and like, <laughs> and she just never gets tired. And she's like, I never got dizzy. That's so weird. And so she starts to think maybe there's like fumes around the cave maybe there's like who knows carbon monoxide maybe there's like right. a, that hole that i think is in the rocks maybe fumes are kind of leaking out of that and then anybody that goes kind of in this area gets affected by it um and that's why i got dizzy both times that i was there so she goes back to um mother mathilda the candle maker and she doesn't know anything about fumes in this area she's never heard anything like that but she does tell them, hey, you know, last time you were here, you were asking about the McGuire's and I forgot to tell you something. Um, there was this woman, Amy McGuire, who was actually the adopted daughter of the son that was still living in the house. Um, and apparently she was kind of a wild child who, after the grandparents died, um, she was fine when the grandparents were alive. But then after they died, she kind of like just 
went more wild child and married this guy that they didn't really like. And the parents were so brokenhearted that um, that's why they decided to leave town. Great. Um, So Nancy gets a call from Carson a little bit later and he says, can you come to the police station in Yorktown? Because we have a police lineup going on. We want you to try to identify Madame with the cart. So she gets to Yorktown. She does positively ID the woman. Um, they do confirm that it was the same woman that was in the, in, that got into the cab with Carson and um, drugged Carson. Um, and the police say it's confirmed that she actually has several names and several disguises. And she's been going around the area um, selling this perfume dressed as both the Spanish woman and the French woman. Uh, but it turns out she is not Spanish or French. She's no. just from New York and um, <laughs> likes to put on these accents and costumes. And she, you know, she gives a, this like you meddling kids speech as she's being dragged away, but she gets really arrested. Um, but then Carson announces that he has to go back to river Heights to prepare for a different case that he has coming up in court. So he says, Nancy, you stay in the area. You try to catch Harry Tyrox for me. And Nancy's like, Fine. you got it, dude. I'm there with you. <laughs> Um, but first we have to solve the tolling bell mystery, obviously. Right. That's so, yeah. So they decide to go investigate the old McGuire cabin again. So she and George decide to go up there because Bess does not want to join them. Um, they get in the house and everything is still, you know, just as they left it last time, but they do find the old family Bible in the house. Um, and when they look through the Bible, they do see the, like, Inside the Bible is like family birth and death records, but then there's also marriage records, and they see Amy McGuire listed as having married to some guy named Slocum. And Nancy remembers that the hotel clerk that was at the the hotel, the Fisher's Cove Hotel, where Carson was taken originally, that guy, his last name was Slocum as well. Um, and George says that that's a really common last name, so it could be anybody, <laughs> which was funny to me because I've never heard that last name in my life. No. So I, unless there's just like a high population in this particular town of this particular no. last name, whatever. But Nancy also finds another letter from Amy, the daughter, that was like, I know I don't love Mr. Slocum, but he's this fancy hotel man and we're going to strike it rich. And so I'm going to live the good life now <laughs> that I'm going to go marry this hotel guy. Um, so. It makes sense to Nancy that that is probably the same guy. Um, So George then is like poking around while Nancy's reading the Bible and says, look, these cobwebs (laughs) on on the table aren't connected to anything. And Nancy's like, what do you mean? And George goes, no, look, it's just a fake cobweb that somebody just sat down on top of the food on this table. Um, And Nancy's like, wow. And they look around a little bit more and they're like, everything is just kind of like artificial. Like it's been made to look abandoned. But it's actually not. It's just like set up to look really gross to keep people away. And then as they're looking around, they hear, don't turn around, walk straight ahead. No funny business. Um, And like this guy, like apparently has just like come up behind them from the front door. They didn't notice him come in. Um, And so Nancy and George decide not to turn around, but Nancy has like a view of a mirror to where she can see behind her. And she remarks that this man looks elfin and concludes that he is probably this grumper man. So this is two elfin like people. Right. Two separate guys. Yeah. And grumper, this grumper man tells Nancy and George to put their hands up and walk straight ahead. Um, And Nancy doesn't, 
she like can see in the mirror reflection it doesn't look like he's actually holding a weapon even though he mm-hmm. clearly wants him to think wants them to think that he is so nancy just like wheels around and knocks him one it just punches Hell him in yeah. the face <laughs> Woo! and then while he's knocked over george just goes over and sits on him which is <laughs> so funny um and he tells them i'm not grumper but i'm not telling you who i am i know who you're talking about but that's not me but i'm not going to tell you what my name is but then as he's saying this they hear a gong sound but not like right next to them or anything. It just sounds like the, it's this very distant sound. Um, and Nancy concludes that there must be like a basement or something. And she thinks that probably he has maybe like an accomplice or something hiding out. And if they don't do something fast, you know, it's, she thinks that Grumper or this guy who's not Grumper has signaled to someone else. And the gong sound is um, evidence that somebody else is coming or is destroying right. evidence elsewhere on the property or something like that. Um so then somebody does come to the door. He's this eh. dark, looming figure in the doorway. But it's just Ned oh, here to God. save the day again. <laughs> and so they're like debating over this. And they're like, well, what do we do? There's, there's probably somebody else here. And they decide that Ned needs to take this guy to the police right now. So they cart this man off to the police. Ned takes him away. And they're going to wait here, I guess. Nancy and George are. Well, Ned does this so that he can come back with the police and then arrest whoever the accomplice is in the basement or whatever. I'm sorry. This is wild. This is stupid. Yeah. These, these girls are trespassing. They don't own this place. The McGuire's own this place. Probably still. Right. Oh yeah. No, they, no. Right. And they, and this guy tells them like, Hey, you know, essentially turn around or like, like, don't like, don't do anything. And they even have this conversation about like, Nancy's like, well, are you allowed to be here or whatever? And he's like, yeah, I kind of am. And, and so, but they tie him up and they take him to the police station. Like he's done something wrong. He has, he doesn't have, he hasn't harmed them. He doesn't have a weapon. Like he hasn't even threatened them. All he's told them is that like, they're not supposed to be here. Right. And they tie him up and take him to the police. What if he? What if he's Mr. McGuire? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This is this is crazy to me. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. So Nancy and George are just like kind of just in this cottage now, waiting for Ned to get back with the police. And Nancy starts thinking about it. She's like, "There's only one exit out of this cottage, and it's the front door." But this man that you know just came up behind us was like hands up walk straight forward mm-hmm. well that's weird because there's just a wall here so what mm-hmm. we're gonna walk through the wall that's really strange um and also nancy's looking around for some sort of interest entrance to the basement can't find one but then she's like well you know the wall that he wanted us to walk into is just covered in fishnets um so she kind of moves the fishnets away and realizes we have a secret passageway behind Ooh! here and Thank god it is unlocked Oh, finally. <laughs> it's unlocked. So when they open the door, it leads down this set of stairs. And George basically tells Nancy, like, hey, like, we should wait for Ned to come back. But Nancy is like, no, like, someone could be down there from Harry Tyrox's gang destroying evidence. And it's like, what? Like, what? This pl- how- why is this place associated with Harry Tyrox all of a sudden? I don't know. Um, Also, she only suspects that there could be somebody down there. She doesn't know. Whatever. Um, So Nancy's like, I'm just going to go. And George waits up there for her. And after a while of not hearing anything from Nancy, having 
going down the stairs. George decides to go after her. Um, so she goes down the stairs and she's in like this tunnel situation and she hears like these heavy footsteps, which are clearly not Nancy's. So she hides in like this niche in the wall and this man passes by her. Um, and he goes up the stairs, goes out the door and shuts it. And so George is like, Oh no. So she goes up to check the door and the door is locked. So both she and Nancy are now trapped down here in this place behind this secret hidden door that nobody knows is there. Um, and even and if Ned, Ned comes back, even know about it. Ned doesn't even know about it. So this is Oops. big problems. Um, but then also George starts to feel lightheaded and dizzy. She realizes, oh my gosh, this is exactly how Nancy was feeling. I bet I'm being drugged. So she goes to try to get fresh air and she manages to like put her face like up against the crack in the door and like breathe in fresh air that way. So she's okay for a little bit, but meanwhile we get Nancy's perspective and we also go back in time. So Nancy explains how she comes down the stairs um, and she finds, she goes through this tunnel and she finds this large chamber where they appear to be manufacturing the Moncor makeup products. Um, and then Nancy hears two men coming, so she hides under a bench, and then she realizes that the voices of these men are actually coming from behind the wall that the bench is on. There's also, like, a bench next to her, and then that, like, wall, like, swings open with the bench, like, hidden door, and the men come out. And she can tell, based on the man, that it's Harry Tyrox, and another person that Nancy assumes is Grumper. So, this is, like, the third <laughs> elephant, like, Dude, I guess we found. Um, and they're discussing how essentially what they've done is today they've led a H here to steal his money and basically kill him with the tide in the cave. Um, and then there's actually a passage that leads down to Baldhead Cave from where they are. And Harry instructs Grumper to go down and just take care of AH, deal with the situation, right? Ugh. But then, I know it's very threatening and scary. It's unsettling. But then. Yeah. George, they hear George yelling for Nancy out in the corridor because she was calling for Nancy, right? And they realize, oh, we have company. So Grumper sets up this gas <laughs> to drug them because, oh, right, he's like a chemist or something. Chemist, little person. I can't. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, but then later so they describe him as being taller than. Yeah, I don't. Mm. It's very anyway. it's very confusing. It's weird. Um so, um, he sets up this gas and both he and Harry leaves. And then Nancy starts to feel woozy from the gas and she passes out. But then she wakes back up because I guess it dissipates or something. And she wakes back up, realizes that, oh my gosh, it's 10 minutes until the tide comes in. So she goes down into the tunnel to try to save A.H. because she knows that he's been led there. When she gets there, she sees Grumper dressed up as the ghost, ringing a jeweled bell. She sees A.H. row into this cave, and he has this super weird confrontation with Grumper. They basically act like mortal enemies with, like, this historic, like, family feud situation. And there's, like, this misunderstanding about how Grumper feels like it's his bell because his father was owed the bell from... Hendrick's like grandfather or something and but Hendrix is like no your father stole the bell or whatever okay it's nice. very like national treasure it um, is and we need more backstory <laughs> about this because we're only learning about this in this big expedition dump here like right yeah anyway yeah anyway so 
<laughs> so this is presumably the bell that Grumper's father stole from A.H.'s grandfather, and A.H. wants to take it from Grumper, but Grumper says, like, we'll go ahead and try because the tide is about to come in soon and kill us all because also I've locked the door down here so none of us can get out, and I threw away the key. I threw it into the ocean, into the water. What? Why? Why <laughs> he explains he's like, I'm like pissed off because Harry Tyrox originally tried to like cut me out of this deal. Like he stole my jeweled bell and then tried to sell it out from under me. But now he's cut him back in. So why is he still pissed about this? And also, even if he was pissed about this, he just wants to off himself for vengeance sake. Like that yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> this is wild. Drowning yourself out of spite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, we have so to talk weird. about this later this because I think yeah. this is all, this all is coded with like, he's crazy. Right. Yeah. And he's, uh, yeah. Um, so we need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so Nancy and AH are like frantically pounding on the door back into the cave to try to get out while Grumper is just standing there like maniacally laughing. Um, but the door won't budge. But then suddenly Nancy hears like muffled voices from behind the door. Who could it be, Corey? Ooh. Who's it gonna be? Who's it could be, be George there? because George, be George has like made this whole plan to like sneak around and save Nancy, and she knows immediately what mm-hmm. kind of danger Nancy's in because they could set be the police. this up to be George. It also could be the police because they be want the to go get the police. Yeah, no, it's Ned. It's yeah. Ned. It's Ned in a gas mask. <laughs> They set this up to be George because the last thing that we see from George's perspective is that she realizes that Nancy's in this room filling with the poisonous gas and she's like, I need to find a way to help Nancy. And then it's like, and help Nancy did need indeed because this is, you know, it switches to her perspective. But they make it sound like the last thing George is going to do is go out of the passageway or whatever and come around to get Nancy. And then it's Ned. And then it's Ned. It's just Ned. This made me so mad. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So it's Ned, and he rescues them all, and Grumper, because, of course, they're morally obligated to rescue the villain. Um, He does pass out in the cavern from his own drug fumes, and so Ned Fireman carries him out with his gas mask straight into the custody of a state trooper who arrests him for no reason. Um, And we learn that Harry Tyrox has escaped, um, but he's apparently quickly caught on the road. And then the next morning, for some reason, everyone is invited to the police station to talk to Harry Tyrox and Grumper. Why? Mm. Uh, why are the police inviting them? I don't understand. Whatever. They go. Also, Slocum, the hotel clerk, is there, and he's been arrested as well. I don't know why. I guess maybe Harry Tyrox or Grumper implicated him somehow. But he's the one who ends up explaining the whole scheme he talks about his wife, Amy McGuire, and how she knew about the cave because obviously it was her family's property, so she knew about it, and how Harry Tyrox was a friend of Slocum's, and um, Harry promised to give Slocum a cut of the business if they could use the cave for making them makeup, and so they ended up scaring the McGuire's away by saying that Amy had been like arrested and that they'd have to they like left out of shame or something. It's just wild. Um, And then Harry hired Grumper to be their chemist, I guess, to make the makeup. And so that's why Grumper is involved. But then A.H. just, like, disrupted their whole plans because of this whole Bell situation. Like, it was just a coincidence that they had this past. Great. (laughs) 
somehow related because they just knew each other. Um, and he also explains how Carson was drugged from something that Grumper made and administered by Madame. I think it's crazy how we don't have a real name for this woman yet still. Did you tell her? They, they don't at this point. He calls her Madame, and they continue to call her Madame. I mean, I know that she's once she's arrested, we we say a couple of her names, but we never refer to her. So oh, no, we don't. Yeah. Madame. No, when she gets arrested and Nancy does the lineup, they call her Mary Smith. And it's right. like, well, that sounds like a fake name, too. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so she drugged. Uh, she drugged him in the cab and then she moved him to the hotel and re-drugged him whenever he was getting better. So that's why he would kind of be like up and down all over the place because she was continually drugging him. Um, and he also says that the hotel business, like the hotel situation, Harry actually had a plan to lure Nancy there, drug her as well. And so it was a trap. But then Slocum's wife, Amy, didn't want to do that. She was getting too freaked out and scared about the business. And so she was the one who warned Nancy away with the phone call and the note. I still think it's weird because Harry Tyrox never showed up to drug Nancy, even though Nancy was definitely there the whole time. Well, he called it off at the last second. He was going to do that. And then he thought, you know, it's going to be much harder to have like two kidnappies and keep them both quiet and like whatever. So I guess he just called it off at the last second, but These not are the because Amy criminals. wanted that. Yeah, they really We are. need to talk about this later. They're super lame. Um, they can't succeed at anything they do. Um, they think they're geniuses as well. Yeah. Mixing water yeah. and rubbing alcohol and calling it perfume. Great. Um, but also luckily Harry Tyrock still has all the money that these people invested. He didn't spend any of it. So all those people should be able to get their money back. No problem. And so basically that's the end. Um, But we do get this little wrap up where Nancy explains that she's worried about Amy now that her husband is going to jail, obviously, but mother Matilda tells them that the Maguires are coming back and she's going to live with them. So it's going to be fine. So Nancy ends up wanting to go to the cottage to like clean it up for the Maguires when they come back. And also she wants to look some more in the cave for the second bell, because the one that Grumper had wasn't the same one as the one that they'd been hearing down in the bell. So there's two bells. Well, there's the, <laughs> there's the actual tolling bell. And then there's right. the bejeweled bell that he right. was going to like sell to AH, but really just trapped him there with it. Right. Um, yeah. So she wants to go down and look for that, that other bell. Um, and then George and Bess, like, don't want to go or something, but then Ned shows up. Again, very white knightly, like, just, like, dries up. He's like, how about me? I could drive you. Um, and he helps her clean the cottage. And then after they clean the cottage, they go down into the cave, and Nancy immediately finds it. She just, like, knows exactly where to look somehow. She, like, reaches her hand into a crevice and pulls out this incredibly old bell that she just knows is also a Paul Revere bell. Yeah. And and then she theorizes that it must have been here since the Revolutionary War and was stolen by pirates who put it here. And that the only reason that it recently started ringing and wasn't ringing before was because water only just now eroded the opening enough to ring it. And then she keeps it because she says it's her reward for yeah. solving the mystery. Um. And then <laughs> in what I think is the most significant part of this book, honestly. Oh, yes, this is excellent. <laughs> Ned makes a comment. 
about how she never pays attention when he talks about anything that's not mysterious. And she says, Ned, one day I promise to listen. So he's talking about proposing marriage to her, right? Maybe. But I think it's funny that she's not saying, I promise one day I'll listen. I, I One day I will promise to yes. listen to you. Like, yes. Not yeah. that I will listen to you one day. It's just <laughs> one day I'll consider, consider doing it in the future. So uh-huh. Not even... <laughs> I think this is so coded that he has to be talking about like when he's not talking about something like he's talking about real life, like when he proposes to her, like uh-huh. when he talks about marriage and she just doesn't, she just uh-huh. doesn't listen to him. And she's like, one day I'll listen to you. It's great because he says the same, he asks her the same question in the original and she just smiles and walks away. She doesn't even <laughs> answer. She's just like, nice. And then she just oh, leaves. She just leaves oh, him God. there. that's much better excellent ending and yeah Yeah. i loved it yeah so (laughs) but yes where do we want to start with this i mean i think we have to start with grumper i just yes it's so egregious how we talk about their physical appearance yes so like it's for me it's not just the appearance because I feel like that is super vague like they're not ever very clear about whether or not he is a little person or is he just short or is he actually not short at all and he's just a normal guy that people think looks like an elf or something very yeah, unclear I couldn't tell what that meant if it was a Mm-mm. reference to height or if it just like are his ears kind of pointy like I don't mm-hmm. no, I- yeah I mean, I think the most direct description of him that we get is from A.H. She talks about him and he says, uh, like, he calls him an ornery little fellow. Um, And that's very, that's also very vague. It's like he could be describing that he is, like, it could just be like a diminutive way of, like, speaking about him. Right. But I feel like typically you wouldn't, refer to someone as being little like that unless they were smaller in stature. Um, So it seems like he must be kind of short, but maybe not that short. Um, But then why would Nancy think that they look like an elf? You know? Unless Unless they have pointed ears. The hallucination (laughs) from her dream conflated with the references to his height. Maybe because she hadn't actually met these people yet. She you know, mm-hmm. has seen them, but doesn't remember actually seeing right. them. So who knows why her dream was elf. And then she just keeps calling him elf-like the rest of the book, even right. though that's just her dream anyway. Or not dream, hallucination, also, I guess. Yes. She, in her hallucination, she refers to both of them as little brown elves, which mm-hmm. brings about like a racial quality to this, right. which is very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um and so maybe it's not just that the guy is short. Maybe the guy is brown, right? Right, right. So <laughs> the the little fellow then, that diminutive kind of speech, makes a little bit more sense maybe in that context. Right. Um, the elfin, I don't know, maybe he's Indian. And so maybe Nancy is attributing some kind of like, mysticism to this guy in a horrible way as well that's the only thing i can think of 
but it's still, even considering all that, it's very ambiguous. Um, it's very unclear, but it is very bad. <laughs> There's no positive characterization to this guy, and it's very clearly racially coded and or coded uh -huh. in his height, which is like just bad news all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> but then also they give him like this, when we actually finally do meet him, they give him like this sinister kind of like villainous, um, crazy oh, yeah. uh, manner um, that also feels very um, like an attempt at a stereotype um, and prejudicial of, you know, because I just think, I don't know where this, this um, the history of this kind of representation is, but I just remember in Sherlock Holmes, uh, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes, where mm -hmm. there's the quote-unquote midget, because that's what they right. call him in the yep. movie, who is the chemist, and he makes like these explosives and everything. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yes, very yeah. well. <laughs> and so I, I think that that's like a, that's a thing, right? Like that's like a common trope for like these kinds of like mystery stories is that particular character, which is insane to me it that that really could be <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I just I, like, I, I feel like I've heard that before. And so it's too much of a it doesn't, coincidence. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it, which is just like, Wow. <laughs> This was written in, let's see, the 70s, right? Or revised in the 70s? Um, yeah, I in 73. It was, yeah, originally 46, revised 73. So, I mean, it's old. I know that it's old. It's just, it's still, it, it, it never fails to shock me, this kind of, like, egregiousness, yeah. you know? It never fails. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was any differences in the way that they described him with the original versus the revised. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all pretty much directly the same as what's in the original. Um, there is another character. We didn't even talk about the character in our summary there. Miss Chantry, she has the – there's another woman that, like, is at her June. house. June. Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember we what her name was. We only meet her once in the revised text, and so I just mm -hmm. skipped over it. Like, she literally just greets Nancy, Bess, and George when they arrive, and we mm -hmm. never talk to her again. So. And they don't make it clear what her role is, if she, like, works for Mrs. Chantry, mm. but in the original, they do make a point to say that she is a right. black woman who is working as a servant, um, mm -hmm. and so it's pretty much the same, like, we only meet her once or twice in the whole book, yeah. but they did make a point to take that out, but didn't make any sort of effort to correct how they're talking about Grumper and whatever the other guy's name was. Oh, my it's gosh. Like, okay. That's so wild to I don't me. Know. Was it an offensive portrayal? No, her? I mean, or okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as much as we hear from her in the revised, it's pretty much the right. same thing. Like they go to Miss yeah. Chantry's house, and they're like, "Oh, we're here to see her," and she's like, "Oh no, she's at the tea she's room or whatever." The and they're like, yeah. "Okay, we'll go down there then. Bye." And that's pretty much mm -hmm. all that we hear from her. I think one time she's like, "Oh, bald head cave's really dangerous. Don't go." And like that's all she says. So there's nothing like yeah. about her portrayal that is bothersome. But if if the things that they've put into, or at least if what's in the revised text is supposed to be racially coded, they didn't bother to take that out as well, even though 
they did obviously edit other things. That's so interesting. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there, you could, you could write a freaking dissertation. Here I go again, Yeah, <laughs> but you could write a dissertation about what they chose to revise in these books because mm-hmm. it's truly wild. And such a, I mean, such a clear reflection of the fact that like the revisions were taking place, like during the civil rights movement and post civil right. rights movement, you know? So like, wow. So clearly just a, a reflection of like black racism, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, wow. Oh no, it's definitely wow. a reaction to complaints that were relevant to the time because mm-hmm. of the civil rights movement, but not um, taken to heart so much that they decided exactly. to look at it in a bigger picture and say, Hey, let's remove all of these like assumptions yeah. and bad stereotypes. Yeah. And especially in the, in the influences of this is in a different vein, but like the influences of like, you know, feminism and mm-hmm. uh, what it was that second wave feminism, third wave feminism. I can never keep the waves straight, oh. but <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that and um, how, you know, Nancy becomes um, from the forties to like the fifties or whatever becomes a very different portrayal and different yes. person. And yeah, and even how she continues to be different in the later books, but not because of the revised text, because they're written by Harriet instead of, you know, Mildred or other authors. So right. just interesting, interesting. You, there's so much, so much to dissect because the because the books have existed for so long, they really do capture and reflect just like a timeline of events of so broad decades and decades of history. That's just, right. it's very interesting. It's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh, what else should we talk about? Um, Nancy translates the French, the note about the bell that she finds that's written in French <laughs> so easily. I always have to laugh. Well, she's her. fluent. Of course. Yeah. Sorry. Well, her language skills vary from time to time. So it just, it's funny right. to me when sometimes she struggles with, basic bonjour and then other times she's fluent so yeah her her skills do fluctuate quite a bit (laughs) um okay i noticed something that i found very interesting so carson mentions his assistant in new york a lot Mm -hmm. um and i find that one super weird because carson also has like mentioned nancy as being his assistant occasionally right Mm -hmm. so does carson just have like and also it's implied that she's a woman i think kind of implied that she is also a young woman like nancy i don't know how young but does carson just have like multiple assistants throughout the world like working for him like sometimes it's nancy sometimes it's this chick in new york but like why is she in new york he doesn't live in new york why isn't the assistant in river heights well, probably because he doesn't need an assistant in River Heights because he has Nancy. Or maybe he also has an assistant in River Heights and then he has one in New York. So does he have one in, like, Paris? Does he have one in London? Does he have one in Rome? Like, does he have assistants just, like, all over the world? Because this guy, he does a lot. Like, he consults on a lot, lots of cases. Yeah. He's worked on international cases before. Sure. He helped this dude in, in Paris before in, um, uh, what am steps. I thinking of? Yes, 99 steps. So clearly he has like business abroad. I don't know. Unless he's like, you know, getting his assistant to fly out on a whim whenever he needs something. But yeah, so. 
That's funny. I'm just imagining like Sherlock Holmes with his irregulars, but it's Carson with his teenage women (laughs) (laughs) or young women assistants. (laughs) Part of me wants to be like, oh, good on Carson for like employing like young women or whatever. But also Mm -hmm. part of me is like, is it creepy? (laughs) Speaking of creeps, we have to talk about Ned a little bit here because. Oh gosh, yes. I just feel like. It's not only that he's like, you know, clearly white knightified in mm. this book or whatever. He seems super creepy to me in the way that yeah. he just keeps popping up. It's almost Uninvited. like by the end of it. Right. And by the end of it, it's almost like, oh, Ned again. Like you're just he's expecting back. him to like pop up in a weird place. And so, I mean, is Ned just, like, following her around? It seems very stalkery to me because, first of all, why is he even in Candleton? Okay, he says he's selling insurance to his parents, for, but why is he in Candleton? Why isn't right. he in a- another town somewhere? Why, is he, why does he happen to be in the exact place where Nancy is randomly, just because her dad asked her to be here for an indeterminate amount of time to cheer up some random woman? Right. It's not even like she's on a case. It's not like she was, you know, I mean, I know she is, but it's not like she was invited here to be on a case, right? Right. It's just very, very odd to me. And then he keeps just randomly showing up throughout. He's like, he has to be following her. And he even says that at certain points in times is like, you know, oh, I realized that you might be here. So I came, I came to, you know help you or to do whatever and he suggests following her to the hotel there's a lot of following Mm -hmm. there's a lot of just randomly showing up it's like peak stalker behavior and i don't like it (laughs) i don't feel like there was really a point for him being in this book at all i feel like we could have not had him in it and bess and george could have done all the things that ned was there for of like absolutely being there for backup, following her to the hotel to make sure she's not alone, all that kind of stuff easily could have been Bess and George, unless you believe that a man has to be the one to do those things because he's big and protecting and all that kind of Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just think it's interesting to frame this in the fact that like, we're supposed to think that this is like sweet and romantic. Like the fact that he one makes all the decisions for her and two just keeps showing up. And three, just following her, right. essentially being like the ultimate pest and like the ultimate like patronizing dude. We're supposed to think Ugh. that this is romantic, which is like, what is that supposed to say to girls at this time or right. at any time? Like, you have to be in order to like to be in a good relationship. A good relationship looks like this. A good relationship looks like you submitting to this man. It looks like this man being like, so quote unquote protective of you that he literally follows you around because one, he doesn't trust you. Like just the way that this would lend itself to like abuse so fast. Oh yeah. And abusive relationships is like, uh, uh, mm. And this is supposed to be idealized. This is supposed to be sweet. This is supposed to be cute. This is supposed to be Ned taking care of Nancy. No, mm-hmm. thank you. No, thank you. I don't like it. And it's not to say that, like, Ned occasionally isn't helpful. Because I will agree that sometimes he is. I think he, can he be sometimes very makes... Yeah. But just sometimes when we don't even need him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
He can sometimes make good decisions. He can sometimes make helpful suggestions. It's just when he acts like this hero and he acts like he does it for Nancy's own good, it's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have a stress ball in my hand and I'm just like squeezing it so hard. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. I don't get it. I don't get why people like Ned. I don't get it. We're going to get messages again I know. from people accusing us of being Ned haters. And you know what? I They're am. right. I am a Ned I'm hater. A Ned hater. <laughs> I don't like him. He's creepy, guys. He's yeah. weird. He shows up and he he just acts like a an awful person sometimes. Yeah. I just don't get the love. I get that maybe he's supposed to be attractive. I get why. I get, well, I understand through the lens through which we are supposed to view him. Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't, I just can't see him that way. I'm sure he's fine on his own, but just in the context of being a romantic in a relationship. Nancy, yeah. I don't think that it's any good. I don't think that that dynamic is healthy mm -hmm. for her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, I mean, maybe Ned on his own is a good person, but that doesn't make this a good relationship. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I also think, you know, Nancy doesn't need to be in any relationship. Or right. if she is in a relationship, the order of the relationships that she needs to be in is number one, Frank Hardy, and then right. number two, Deirdre Shannon. So right. I don't... <laughs> Either one know. of those would be way better <laughs> than Ned Nickerson. Ned is boring. He is bland. He doesn't add anything to the situation except, hey, I'm a man with muscles who can be the muscle man to protect you if you need protection. Beyond Frank that, Frank Hardy I'm can useless. easily do that. Also, probably so could Deirdre. So yeah. I don't... <laughs> Frank Hardy would add some interest to the situation. He would mm -hmm. have Nancy, like, you know, they would be able to play off of each other with their ideas mm -hmm. and stuff. They would bounce mystery mm -hmm. ideas back and forth. Where Ned is just complaining that Nancy won't talk about non-mystery things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what would be great? A polyamorous relationship between Nancy, Frank, and Jill. No, that's weird with brothers. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No. I think that would mm -hmm. be strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm into that. I'm going to write a dirty fan. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, Frank is great. I love Frank so much. Personally, I love Joe more, I think, Fair but enough. I love Frank and Nancy. But, like, I was thinking, like, they could make such a great team. I just want to see them all work together. That's what I want to see. I don't necessarily need it to be romantic. We just need – we need to read another um, Nancy Mystery. Hardy Boys super mystery is yes. what we need to I'm do. really wanting to go back to those because those, that one that we read was excellent. and So good. So good. Someday we will go back to those. But. <laughs> No, that's okay. um, that's so Riverdale. The ending, I don't know. I, I know, I know. <laughs> oh gosh, I saw someone say, like somebody was joking that they were going to do the same thing with the Nancy Drew finale. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't joke about this. I need Nancy to end up with the Hardy Boy, and that's final. I can't, I can't cope with anything else happening. But oh, yeah, it's too funny. So, oh man. Oh, I love okay. the CW show. I'm sorry. I yeah. take back every negative thing I've ever said. <laughs> I'm all in now. I don't know what overcame <laughs> me after I saw that finale, but I just oh, want to watch it a thousand more times. I'm going to have to really binge it. I'm going to have to like yeah. really binge it like nonstop so that I don't forget 
the bad, you know, the good stuff that has happened. Yeah. To the bad, you know, I have to get through it so fast. How many seasons? Just four, right? There's four seasons. Four. And I think like 60 total up or 60 something total episodes. So, I oh mean, God, that's, that's it's a big time so commitment. Many. But yeah. <laughs> so many. How that's can okay. they put that many? Is it like 20 a season? Ish. No, um, the last two seasons only had 13 each, but I can't remember. Oh, no, 62 total episodes. Okay. So what's 62 minus 26? Oh, God, don't ask me to do math. Hey, Google. Hey, Google. Divided by two. <laughs> so there was 18 episodes in the first two seasons yeah. and 13 episodes in the second two seasons. Math is hard. Anyway. That's doable. It is doable. You could do that in mm-hmm. a couple weeks, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I could do like a, I, this is not a commitment, this is not a promise, but maybe I could do a like Patreon series of, if I mention. <laughs> Just do a like a live little, tweeting or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'm probably going to watch it again pretty soon here too. Yeah. I, okay. Well then yeah. maybe we'll have to, we'll have to do something together then. Yes. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Anyway. Um, okay, what else do we want to say about Mystery of the Tolling Bell? Uh, I've got a, a list here of just a few of the differences oh, sure. between the original and the revised text. Uh, so like I said, it's pretty much the same story. Um, we get a few additional scenes where it's just like another character's point of view of what's happening in that situation. But then they just you know meet back up with Nancy and it's the same story. Um, there is something in like the very first... Um, very first, when we first start the book, you know how they're George is complaining about not wanting to get lunch because Bess is hungry. Uh, well, we do get a scene where they do stop for lunch, and it's at this like seafood restaurant. And mm-hmm. I guess um, maybe you know, Landlock River Heights just doesn't have a lot of access to seafood because these girls act like they've never heard of it before. And they're like a sh- a shrimp. A shrimp? A shrimp? Oh my gosh. Like, a what? What does that taste like? I don't understand what that might, you know, what flavor that might have. So, hold the phone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the 70s and you're telling me they've never no, the had 40s. or heard of. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so this would be in 1946. Okay. So I get things I was like, were shrimp very cocktail. different. They don't like, know what shrimp cocktail is, but then, sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. talking about the original. So, I mean, I might be able to just be able to find it and, and read it, but. um. Oh, Okay. George was already eating with great relish, giggling as the balloon food collapsed in her mouth. Bess made a grimace and gingerly bit into one of the shrimps. Her face was a study as she tried to decide whether or not she liked the flavor. Not too bad, she said grudgingly, but I'd rather have a steak. Hold on. (laughs) Okay. So you're telling me that George is literally giggling over her food Mm -hmm. and she gets on to Bess for wanting lunch? Oh, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> what? Clearly, you enjoy food a lot too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A horrible person. Speaking of food, though, I did make a note that the dandy tart at the salt oh. at the Salsini is a popular dish, which is apparently filled with hot fish pudding. <laughs> That's disgusting. Sick. Sick. What but I guess is they that? had that because they talked about it in the original like it was this delicious thing as well. Because they have the scene in the restaurant when they first get there. It's the same in both books where they're like, oh, yeah. I wonder what the D stands for in that. And they learn it's the dandy tart. And they're like, wow, that sounds amazing. I'd love to try that. Ew. Oh, my God. You don't <sighs> like shrimp, but you want to eat hot fish yeah. pudding? 
You act like you don't know what a shrimp is, so I guess they would have had hot fish pudding in River Heights, but... Oh, that's sick. Oh, I know, it was hard to... I mean, refrigerated (laughs) trucks didn't exist back in the 40s. Right. Well, not, you know, ones that you'd need to ship large quantities of frozen shrimp across the country. You know, I've never thought about that. I've never even thought about the fact that refrigeration made seafood accessible to Mm -hmm. people who live in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. What a perspective shift. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I just I thought that that was very interesting that they act like they didn't know what clams and shrimp were. Um, let's see. Oh, um, by this time, so I did notice that in previous, like earlier, like pre-book number twenty-three of the original text, they describe Hannah as just like a housekeeper role and less like the motherly role that they describe mm-hmm. her as in the revised text, but not in this one. They do mm-hmm. straight out say that Hannah has filled like the mother role that. Nancy's wow. mom when she died. So um, I was glad to see that. That was nice. Little yeah. Hannah reference there. Um, what else is different here? Oh, when they go into the cave for the first time, there's a weird statue in there that they like, at first when they see it, they think that that's the ghost. And then they get closer to it and they're like, oh, it's just a statue. Um, so there's just a statue in there and they never address why it's there. And then a seal comes out of nowhere and there's a seal living in the cave as well. And so they have to like shoo the seal out before they can like go further into the cave. So that's funny. Um, yeah. That, you know, they're just filling up space really. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, like I said, they have the car accident when they're going to Yorktown, they get into the car accident on the way home. And when right. she takes a really long time to get back, Bess, George, and Mrs. Chantry are waiting for her at the house and they think that she's been kidnapped and they decide not to call the police just in case she like gets herself loose and comes home. <laughs> what? Yeah. Because they're like, oh, you know, Nancy, it's not like her to be out until two in the morning, even if she was on a date with Ned. Like, I wonder where she could be. Should we call the police? And they just, they all think about it. And they're like, no, let's just give her some more time just in case she's fine and she's just on her way home. That's so funny. I mean, it's funny the way that it is. But that also makes me think, like, it's interesting, too, how we get from... Like, there's a very clear line from the original text to the revision. Because Mm -hmm. in the revision... Nancy's with Ned and we obviously don't get that secondary perspective from them waiting up for her or whatever. But Ned specifically says to her, like, you know, oh, aren't, you know, like, isn't Mrs. Chantry and Bess and George going to be worried? Aren't they going to be worried about you? Right. And she's like, oh, I'll make sure to leave them a note. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you could have also just not said that and we wouldn't have have to think about that at all until you get home and they were up still worried about you. But like, we have to specifically mention that the reason why that scene doesn't exist in the revision is because you left a note. Right. And it's like, but this is an entirely new text. You don't have to do that. So that's interesting to me. Well, the the fun part is she does leave a note in the original. They point that out, but they say that she's in such a hurry to go meet Ned that she is, you know, she forgets to close the window and the window, like the wind (laughs) blows in and blows the note under the couch. And so they just don't see it. And so that's when they are like, it's not like Nancy to go somewhere and not tell anyone. And they don't realize that she has left the note. And then they find it like as they're about to call the police, the wind like comes back and blows the note back from underneath the couch. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, never mind. Don't call the police. Nancy's clearly fine. (laughs) Um, and then the last thing was just the uh, fisherman trying to pull Nancy up with his net off the, the cliff. Right. And she did not need help. So, Goodness. 
Is it normal or acceptable, or was it normal and acceptable in the 40s or the 70s for a woman, a young woman, to be out with her beau alone at two in the morning? That would have been very scandalous, I feel like. Right? Mm hmm. I just feel like that's there. I don't know. I mean, I know that, like, us as readers, of course we know it's perfectly innocent. They're mystery solving. Of course they're going to be out late or whatever. But I just think about, like, that, you know, Bess and George and Mrs. Chantry, they're worried that she's been kidnapped. But mm-hmm. then if she comes back with Ned, I'm like, oh. girl, I mean, that would have been some scandal. Or she would have at least gotten some gentle ribbing from Bess and right. George, you right. know? like. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we can't imply that Nancy is sexual. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to, to mention this, but actually, before they come to the conclusion that maybe she's kidnapped, Bess even goes, ooh, maybe they went off and eloped. <gasps> oh! No. No, thank you. Uh. She's 18. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the 40s, though, that's yeah. that would have that would tracked, you know? It would have, so. yeah. And she would have come home to a lot of scrutiny. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that in this scene, Carson had already left town because what if she right. come home and Carson had been waiting there for her instead? I think that would have mm. been a much different scene. Mm-hmm. Especially in the original text, like in the 40s, like he's very much, he's much more paternal, right? Much right. more um, of her. Well, patronizing, still very yeah. much her quote unquote patron, right? Like right. he is responsible for her. He gives her permission to do things. She has to ask him permission to do things because it was the forties. And oh yeah, she couldn't have her own bank account or, you know, like yeah. own her She could barely home. have a bank account in the revised version either, you know? <laughs> right, so. right. So, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Hmm. I mentioned this briefly before, but I also just think we just want to talk about a little bit more how these criminals are so super lame. Yeah. Like <laughs> they make it out like is and Carson especially makes it out like they're they're these masterminds. Like what he calls the he calls them like a sharp or something gang or, yeah. or something of like Harry Tyrox and his associates, right? Um, but essentially all they're doing is just like, you know, this like fake financial crime where they're just selling cheap makeup products that aren't any good and and pretending that they are good and like inflating like a fake stock right but when it comes to like the actual like serious stuff that like might need to like happen for like them to like be successful like when he comes to the door to like kidnap nancy or whatever Uh and he like grabs her arm and she like brushes him off runs inside slams the door and then he looks like he's gonna come in but then he just decides not to or like at the hotel when he's supposed to like drug her he's like you know what we better not we probably shouldn't do that and then they just don't (laughs) yeah and then even when they get to the very end and like the final confrontation between them and the other guy not grumper but the other guy in the actual cabin mm-hmm. like they just like overtake him instantly like he puts yeah. up like no fight they just like knock him over and tie him up and then that's yeah. it like that's George the end. sits on him <laughs> yes george sits on his chest and so it's like <laughs> these guys man they just can't get anything done yeah. here like what is going on they're foiled by you know a teenage detective and a man looking for an antique paul revere bell who's old yeah. so it's like what kind of criminal enterprise is this? 
Like, Just like Carson needs makeup. Nancy's help to solve this. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, it's just oh funny my gosh. to me. And then somehow <laughs> doing like stock fraud. I don't know. It, yeah. It's a weird crime. It is and a weird crime. Yeah. I love yeah. how bad he was at trying to convince Nancy to come with him too. Like when he actually came to the house with the the labels from the bottles. Because he's like, yeah. oh, you need to come with me. Like your father sent for me. Like he's trying to pretend like this right. is legitimate. That Carson has sent him. That he knows Carson. And as soon as she's like, I don't believe you. He's like, oh, fine then. Uh, you and yeah. your snooping father better stay out of here. Like he immediately just gives up the race. It's like, well, yes. okay. All right. So you're just admitting that you were here to kidnap me. So I was right not to trust you. <laughs> Great. Um, sorry, sorry, I don't trust you. I'll give you something not to trust. <laughs> trust to kidnap her. Okay. Too funny. Great. Too funny. I mean, just, yeah, just zero skill, zero chill, zero. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> okay, let's see. Anything else? I don't think I have anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to give it a flashlight score? The vibes were great. The um, hint of pirate lore was exciting at first until we actually didn't get any pirate details. Um, Two and a half flashlights, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very similarly. Like, I don't feel like it deserves a three. Yeah. A two feels really low because yeah. I will say the action was excellent. I sure. felt like, you know, I really was pulled along well in the story, even though the story wasn't very good. So that's like yeah. impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I guess the vibes, but I, yeah, so like a two and a half, I think is probably where I land. I feel like that's a, that's a fair, that's mm-hmm. a fair judge. Two and a yeah. half flashlights. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Well, next up, regular Drews, we have another mystery story coming at you. Um, again, such a just such a weird theme that we have just, going on, Corey. It's just random order here. <laughs> what could um, we possibly be doing next? I don't know. I wonder uh, if it could be number forty-six, the Invisible Intruder. Ooh, another Ned one though. He's on the cover oh, of this yeah. one, which is a bad sign. It's a dopey looking picture of him on the cover too. I you, assume you that's Ned. Yeah. His mouth's like open. I don't think that could be Carson. <laughs> he looks way too young to be a Carson. So I just have to assume yeah. that's Ned. Yeah. I don't remember this one super well, but I read the, um, I'm going to read the uh, summer little blurb about it really quick because it sounds super interesting. Okay. Because it, it doesn't sound like any other um, Nancy Drew book I've ever read. Nancy Drew, forget the ghost hunt, a male voice rasps on the telephone. Despite the mysterious warning, the pretty teenage detective and a group of friends start out on a ghost hunting expedition to investigate five places reputed to be haunted. Oh. Danger strikes at once when Nancy tries to overtake the canoe that paddles itself on Lake Sevenee. Thrills and chills mount as the ghost hunters pursue a phantom horse and ghost rider racing across the field that surrounds the Red Barn guest house. During these happenings and other weird events, Nancy finds herself pitted against a dangerous adversary clever enough to operate invisibly. In a dramatic climax, Nancy outwits her enemy in an eerie mansion and traps him in the fantastic Room of Skulls. This unusually intriguing story will delight all Carolyn Keene fans. 
That sounds very exciting. We love a mm-hmm. phantom horse, first of all. Second yes. of all, that just makes me want to watch the CW show even more because I need the spookiness. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that's like they purposefully go to locations purported to be haunted. Right. To for because they are haunted. Like that's, that's very interesting. Scooby-Doo. Yeah. It does. Whereas like in most of like the things she happens upon a place that has a haunting, you know, mm-hmm. or it's just like, oh, by the way, it's also haunted. Right. <laughs> you know, but like this one seems like the whole She's mystery is her. Yes. 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 I love so, it. So Nancy, Nancy Drew, Drew paranormal hunter. investigator. Yes. <laughs> oh, so I hope Ned's not too annoying in this one. And I hope that Nancy shows him up. Um, it certainly looks like she might on the cover because she has a very intense looking face on and mm-hmm. he just looks kind of dumbstruck. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that's indicative. We'll see. Yes. I hope so too. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. So join us then, regular Drews, for the Invisible Intruder. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks for listening. listening.